This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content. Morning all, hope it went well for you. So they talk of weather in the papers this morning. They say the exams are over, but the leaving cert weather will persist. Today anyway, because they even in the second paragraph of the mail, they say, but watch out, there'll be uh, some drizzle around tomorrow. Uh, hot took you so long. Summer is here at last. They're fierce optimistic in the red tops, aren't they? With their saying thousands are expected to pack Ireland's beaches as the hot week of temperatures hit 20 degrees or above. Yeah, it certainly will be that. But blue, blue skies and sunshine across the whole week, not just any time yet. Uh, but I love headlines like that in spite of it. Beaches and sun cream is the front of this morning's mirror today. The heat is on. Some parts of the country could hit 23 or maybe 24 degrees uh, at some stage this week. So all nice in that regard. Mind you, if you're heading overseas, big problems, of course, for foreign travel because uh, Irish families are being warned of a holiday hell warning. They're talking on the front of the mirror today of a summer of travel chaos. Ireland hit a strike action looms across Europe uh, and hundreds of staff and unions and airports across Europe have called for strikes, uh, resulting in airlines being forced to cancel their flights. I chat with Owen Corey from uh, Travel Extra a little later on because he's the travel expert in these kind of things. What kind of chaos could be expected across the back end of June and into July and August. He will well know. Uh, our summer will be unpredictable chaos, says the star today, quoting those people in the know uh, because of uh, issues involving, uh, I suppose, pay and conditions. It's always pay and conditions ultimately, isn't it? And pay was a big factor, of course, on Saturday. Rent was another one. Uh, the cost of living, uh, all sorts of stuff associated with uh, how difficult it is just to put uh, one step in front of the other or turn on heat or put petrol in a car or rent a house or buy a house. And uh, anywhere between 1,000 and 2,000 people marched for that cost of living protest in Cork. It was part of many protests across the country. It's the front of the echo today where they say 1,000 marched to protest cost of living crisis. Those that were at it said there was more than 1,000. I'll come back to that uh, a little later on this morning. But when you talk about rental costs or indeed, certainly with regards to, uh, say, anything to do with retail. It's an interesting story in the exam this morning where they say the Cork City Council has the highest collection rate of vacant site levies of any countries any of the 31 local authorities across the country. Apparently they've managed to rake in just under a million from owners of vacant sites, those that just sit on them uh, in the last four years. Uh, There's still about (coughs) 600,000 outstanding. Uh, Other councils across the country haven't been as efficient as Cork City Council in this regard. So a million in, uh, half a million still to get. But the highest vacant site levy collection rate it's even sad that we're even talking about vacant sites in this day and age. But Airbnb make the papers as well. They've come in for an awful lot of criticism uh, of late because, of course, uh, they have hoovered up an awful lot of homes that heretofore would have been in on the likes of Daft uh, for rental. Many, many landlords, fl- landlords have flipped into Airbnb. There's more money there. But they're saying they're not to blame uh, for the country's housing crisis. They're asking now for a new register uh, and new rules. Like there is rules, there are rules in place. This, uh, this planning permission rule, if anybody has a property and they want to advertise it for rent on Airbnb, they have to apply for planning permission. Very few actually do. So Airbnb now are looking for a new register of landlords. Um, if everybody played ball, the 
register that they could use would be the RTB register. But many, of course, don't bother with it. Uh, but, you know, when you go back to things like uh, the, the, mar- the march in Patrick Street, uh, or the, indeed the rally in Patrick Street on Saturday, some of the issues, of course, that we're talking about were things like raising social welfare payments, raising the uh, minimum wage um, you know, they're also talking on the mail this morning about a tax break needed for motorists. Now, I think there's support growing within Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael uh, for car tax to be axed as part of a, a package of measures to help hard-pressed families. As you often find in this country, when you get something with one hand, they take it with the other. So I don't know whether all cars would get a tax break with regards to, uh, you know, taxation on, on vehicles, but there certainly isn't anything talked at all about the real elephant in the room here. And this is the cost of excise and VAT and levies that put on a litre of fuel by the government. But there was great news over the weekend. Mind you, I was coming back through uh, Corraheen and coming in from the west yesterday afternoon and the traffic trying to get into the summer show. Never seen the likes of it. I would say <coughs> that they probably had their biggest summer show ever uh, this weekend just gone. It was incredible because as you're driving along on the flyover and driving on the link, you can see field after field after field after field with all the cars parked up and then literally hundreds and hundreds of others just trying to access uh, the summer show yesterday. So I hope nobody got um, a bit, uh, you know, delayed trying to get in there. I suppose, you know, a traffic jam isn't the best place but uh, to be, but I hope everyone got there eventually. There is a kind of a sidebar story that makes the examiner of a, a young bull who got loose at the summer show and was shot dead to protect the public. Now, this bull didn't get loose when the public were there, but apparently a trained marksman was called into the area to kill the misfortunate animal, which is, which is quite sad. Papers also talk of other aspects of sadness. And that has to do, of course, with uh, people who struggle during the pandemic. They have research out now saying that uh, over half of the women that they researched uh, were depressed or suffered depression during the pandemic. It's understandable why you would. For some, depression. For others, boredom. For others, totally fed up. Other people, of course, sick and most important of them all, those that lost their lives. But they talk with quite an amount of 20-somethings, apparently, in this research, where the number of men also experienced uh, experiencing depression nearly doubled. You, could, you can kind of understand that. It was so life-changing for many people. You know, the, the issues that were impacting on their lives, the 20-somethings' lives, was job losses, the worry about job losses, difficulty studying remotely, no face-to-face contact, all, the, all of it socialising for 20-something, very important, all that taken away, not being able to hook up with friends, not being able to engage in sporting activity or, you know, you, one stage we were down into a, you know, a two kilometre radius. So there was very little opportunity for people even to go for a decent walk. So all of that then led to people turning to unhealthy eating habits in particular. And they hone in on women. And it says in the Independent this morning for women eating more junk food, sweets and chocolate was also associated with with an increased risk of depression. They also talked today of the papers uh, who, in front of the Echo this morning and also the Sun today, talks about a typical night out for many Irish people now. It no longer involves a bottle of wine with a meal or a few pints or a gin and tonic or having yourself and maybe a meal. In some cases, it can be up to eight different drugs taken on a night out um, in quick succession. So you're talking about cocaine, ketamine and booze is a typical example and it's becoming more and more prevalent and it doesn't seem to be changing in any way shape or form just getting a hell of a lot worse but I did come across a pint not that you'd ever want to drink a pint of beer whether it was draft or bottle that comes in at something in the region of uh, 11% is it any wonder they describe this this beer as a, a syrupy 
Um, I mean, it tastes quite overwhelming, they say. 11%. Like, beer should be no more than, I don't know, 3.84, 4, 4.2, 4.3. But apparently it's selling at 90 euro a pint in the UK. If you're daft enough, of it, that is, to actually uh, spend it and buy it. And another arson attack, it would seem, although it hasn't been 100% concerned, confirmed, but this is, again, out in Ballancolig, the historic powder mill site in Ballancolig. And many of the people who look after and keep the, the, the park as beautiful as it is, they're volunteers, and they're described as being absolutely heartbroken at the latest arson attack and act of vandalism. Garda Shikona launched an investigation. This apparently is a particularly beautiful structure, the old mill structure, uh, and got torched over the weekend. I don't know why people do that. They think that it's fun, and they think that it's a, a good laugh, and it's far from it. I suppose sense is wasted on some people, isn't it? Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone, 0818104106. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Would you please tell Neil, first text of the morning, ah, first text of the week. Tell Neil he is barred from commenting on any weather reports from now and forever. A waste of a beautiful pool filled with toys, barbecue food, sun factor, new shorts and t-shirts for the kids. The list goes on. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, uh, I know it didn't, it didn't work out as had been expected. The weather took a bit of a change uh, um, on Friday. It was supposed to have been a hell of a lot better and it didn't really arrive, not by way of sunshine. Uh, I saw some people actually share, there was somebody, it could well be that texter, who shared a photograph on my own Instagram page. <laughs> people got a good laugh out of it. Uh, I reshared it on my Instagram page then of a very lonely looking paddling pool in the back garden, all full of water. Uh, she said that the kids got into her for about 20 minutes, half an hour or something, uh, but then had to leg it. I suppose it was just too damn cold. So anyway, today is a good day. Make the most of it because I can't guarantee any... Oh, I thought, it, yeah, I'm actually barred from weather, weather reports, so I'll keep my mouth shut. Okay, back to events over the weekend. Um, this is to do with the rally that was on Patrick Street uh, on Saturday outside uh, Brown Thomas. Uh, some are suggesting that there were upwards of 1,500 to 2,000. The papers are saying 1,000. Uh, Jim O'Hearn was there. Let's find out if he can put an accurate figure on it. Jim, good morning. Hey, how are you, boy? 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. What would you make of it? Uh, there was about 2,000 there to be fair. Okay. Uh, and okay. I'd, I'd be fair reason. But it was a, I mean, it was a big queue. Like, it was nearly filled the length of Oliver Plunker Street. So you had about 2,000 people there. But, um, and all well behaved. Oliver Plunker Street, yeah, but I did see photographs of Patrick Street that seemed to be awash with people. Yeah, yeah, there was. There was loads there, there was loads there, but I don't know how many of those were in protesting, but the protest itself, I honestly felt like it was a waste of time, you know. Um, and it was very good for people to come out, but the likes of Mick Barry there and, and or, 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 yeah, Mick Barry and Thomas Gould, like they're selling the same thing. Let's, let's look after the poor people on the door, let's get up the minimum wage. Uh, but they're doing nothing. They're doing absolutely nothing, you know. Yeah, like, Katrina Toomey to was talking, though. I mean, she she wouldn't hold back. She would have had interesting things to say, right? No, but she can't. She, she can't change anything about in Dublin, you know. As as good as the lady is doing, you know. what I mean, but like we we have to look at our sitting TDs and it's up to them to make changes. I approached Thomas Thomas Gould and I said to him about you know about people's taxes. It's not about getting pay rises, right? Well, it is, and everyone will get pay rises. There's no point getting. 10% pay rise and the government taking 6% back. The thing, the thing here is to reduce people's taxes. You look at everybody's wages. And even if they get a Christmas bonus, it's Varadka gets the bonus, not the people that fix the taxes. Not, that's the first step. And that can happen overnight. 
we don't have to wait for anybody. That's overnight. This is what you can do for the people. That's the first thing you need to do. That went straight over his head. He didn't even understand what I was saying. I said the same thing to, to Mick Barry, and Mick Barry smiled, and then he knew I was serious, and he, the smile came off his face. Like, tax back for the people, fix the tax system, and then you, you have mean to reduce the rates of tax, is it? Absolutely. I, I, look, if you can't understand that, if I put it this way, Neil, if you, last year we had an apple tree with three apples on it. The government was getting one apple, we had two. This year there's five apples on the tree, the government are getting three apples. We still only have two. It's that simple, if they can't understand this. We put it out to baby language for me, bring it back to primary There was a from. lot of other stuff, though, that was actually protested against and rallied against at the weekend and on Saturday. And one was the increasing the, the minimum wage. I mean, that's, you know, you know, do you know what the minimum wage is? It is. I think it's, they want to bring it up to 12 something, you know, and then they want to bring it up to 15. But that's all fine and dandy, but it has other problems. It's 10.50, isn't it? It's which? It's 10.50, isn't it, minimum 10 wage? 50, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless you're on a princess first, you're on smaller again, but, uh, you know... Look, it, it has to go up, there's no denying. And wages always go up, anyway. but there's no point in bringing wages up unless you fix the tax. Raising the minimum wage is no good to the girl or boy that's making 40000 and they're paying 12000 on, on, on taxes. That's no good to them, and they're the people that are struggling with their houses. Yeah, but I mean, it's a start, isn't it? If minimum wage it, was brought up to... Well, I mean, I understand that the minimum wage ultimately isn't paid by the government or by the state, it's paid by... Employers, so they've That's got right. you know they've got a say in this matter as well, and they probably would be lobbying the government not to do that, wouldn't they? Saying we'll, we even, won't be able to survive if, it. Even if the employers done it, Neil, right? The government are still getting more taxes because people are getting more pay. All I'm saying is fix the taxes. That's what you're imposing. Yeah, I know. You keep, you, uh, you keep saying, okay, fix taxes, uh, raise the minimum wage. They also talked on Saturday as well about. Um, uh, getting a handle on rental prices, isn't it? Capping them, putting a freeze on them. Was that talked about Saturday? Well, it, you know, I, I spoke to Thomas School about it and I spoke to, to, to McBarry again and all I got off Thomas School is that they're going to do a deal with landlords that have three properties. I don't know what the deal was. I don't know what they're doing, but I didn't hear anything about bringing down properties. I did say to him that, again, let's fix this with taxes. If you're paying a thousand fifteen hundred euros a month on your rent and you're working you should get a tax relief on that. It's already money that you've already paid taxes on. So why couldn't you get 35% back? Now, if, if, if somebody has a registered property, you're on it renting, why should the government get half that in taxes again? Why not give something back to the boy and girl in the apartment? They've earned the money. They shouldn't be paying charges. Char- char- there, no, there is no existing rent, uh, sorry, tax relief on rental, is there? Rental paid, I, I mean. There is, if you, no, no, but there does happen, there's people for the same, so everybody else in the community seems to be getting some sort of help, except the worker, and they're being forgotten about. Okay, other aspects then, of course, was just the cost of living, fuel, they would have talked about that, wouldn't they? They would have talked about food, they would have talked about the cost of energy, these are all of the key points that really yeah, are affecting me. Look, Health as well is another aspect, all of that would have figured, wouldn't autism services? Well, come on, look, look, they had an opportunity in Dublin there. I don't know who was it last week, but I could call to your Irish, Irish and Fane, murderers and thieves and robbers. I think it was Doherty he was talking that The man doesn't know how to play a backball because he could have turned around and said, I'm sorry, Mr. Varaka, we have children dying in this country. We have people that can't get health services. People are dying because of you. You don't have to be a murderer without pulling a trigger, you know. He yeah. didn't have the, the nuts to say it. Yeah, I think he might have been he caught in the headlights. It. I think he was caught in the headlights with regards to what... Um, Brad actually said about him. Just hold, hold, just hold on there because be I, I, because Tommy Gould is is, is uh, Northside TD of Champagne <laughs> joins me on my phone. Tommy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. 
Do, do, do you recall a conversation with Jim O'Hearn? I suppose you spoke to a lot of people on Saturday. Yes, I did speak, but I, I listened to Jim and what he was saying in relation to tax and looking for for breaks and relief and actually one of the things that we... Like, to be fair to Jim, I didn't have a chance to talk to him a long time on Saturday because it was a protest and there was a lot of people looking to chat about things. But his point about trying to give people, ordinary people who are struggling to pay their tax a break is something that we're looking at, especially Pierre Storty, and what we're looking at is the universal social charge. Getting rid of it? For, no, for taking low and middle income workers out of it. Like, to be honest, we're not, we're not going to abolish the universal social charge for people who are on hundreds of thousands or millions a year. They can afford to pay it. We're talking about low and middle income workers to uh, raise the bands and take more and more people over it. And I think it goes to what Jim is saying there about th- there needs to be a complete look at the tax system and like expect... What about tax relief on rental? Way. What about tax relief on rental or, or better tax relief on mortgage payments? Well, Neil, put it this way at the moment, right? We have run away rents. So if we just concentrate on rents at the moment, we want to cap rents for three years. Then an increase on rents for three years. Straight away, that gives renters... Uh, it gives them a break straight away. And the other thing we are looking to do is to give renters a one month's tax credit back. So it gives a renter one month's credit back into their pocket. So these are ways that we can actually... But, but a rally and a protest on Saturday is to get change now, not in two and a yeah. half years' time, if, say, for instance, Sinn Féin get elected into government. It's now. So, so what we did on Saturday, Neil, and it was a brilliant protest with great numbers. It was, uh, we, we were very, uh, we were delighted with the turnout. And the, we had people from with young families to pensioners and everyone in between. And what we are looking to do is put pressure on the government right now, this week, to bring in a mini budget to help tackle the, tackle the, the cost of living crisis and to put money back in people's pockets. And were you happy with the numbers? I mean, the echo is suggesting as low as 1,000. Jim says as high as 2,000. Well, Neil, this was a post-process, right? And what happened then, uh, on Monday, the cock match was called at the same time and we had been advertising this for three weeks so we couldn't change. Uh, there was a lot on Saturday, so we felt... You know, like if it was a thousand or fifteen hundred or two thousand for a first protest on the cost of living, we thought it was brilliant. Were there any and other TDs there besides yourself and Mick Barry? No, no. And the reason they want is how can they come in when we are calling in the government to deliver and the government TDs? Jack Anderson in action, they they don't want to know about this. They're waiting for the summer holidays so they can kind of. Uh, so the government can kind of go into hiding. And what we are saying is we are not going to let them go into hiding. The government don't need to deliver. And Neil, when I finished speaking on Saturday, a lady came up to me and I spoke about pensioners in particular. And she said she hadn't turned on her heating in her home since April. Yeah. Now, I know, I know it's the summertime, but if you're living in a house, Neil, you still need heating. This is Ireland. This is not Spain or Portugal. People still need to be able to heat their homes, pay for electricity, their gas. And, like, there was a man came up to me, I was at the summer show yesterday, and he said, can you do something about petrol and diesel for people who are trying to go to work? He said, the government is talking about public transport. For most people, public transport won't get them to work, won't get their kids to school. They need help now. Yeah, but... um 
you're not going to be able to do any of that because you're not in power. So why is he asking you? He'd have been better well, off going. It was a it was a Fianna Fáil tent at the summer show. I'm told was there. Been better yeah, off going into the tent. Were there were there TDs in the tent in the summer show? I I didn't see any of them. I didn't see any of them. Neil, so Jim, Neil, yeah. I, can I just ask Tommy one thing there now? And I heard what he said. He's after talking about the old people. He's after talking about the people on low wages. I know the same bunch all the time. I know this makes Tommy. I think is a great position. I, I love that's not true, but the, just just for the people, he hasn't mentioned once the people earning over thirty thousand. Not the people that can't get the medical cards, and that's that's the people that are screwed. I didn't hear Tommy say once that we're going to look after them. But, and we're going to get the taxes done, and we're going to make sure that they can live and stay in Ireland. He's only worried no, no, about if, Mrs. Murphy down the road with the heating. He says he's so going to take those... He, said, the if they, he said they, w- they would take those out of the Universal Social Charges Band. No, he didn't. That was only up to no, a certain point. He turned around and said, he's on about all the people that big money, the 100,000, 200,000. There's people on 40,000. Is he going to get take them out of the Universal Charges? Straight out, yes or no? Well, just answer your question... Pierce Dorothy announced that we would give, if, if we have a way with the mini budget, we would give everyone under 30,200 euros uh, cash payment. And everyone oh, that's no good. We don't want any cash back. That's no good. No, no, if you let me finish. And we would give everyone under 60,100 euros. But what I also said is anyone who's renting, we put a cap on rent and we give them one month's rent back in their pocket. And what we would also do then is we would break down the cost of childcare, which is like another mortgage to most families, and we would reduce that by two thirds. And another thing we would do is we would break down yeah. college fees. We would eliminate them over the, over the term of one government. That's in government. Over I'm talking about now. Is this mini budget going to happen? Is there a cross-party agreement for it? When Neil last week, Neil Verlachter said in the chamber that they were considering it, and the following day and yesterday, the Taoiseach said that they're ruling it out. So we have the Taoiseach saying they're looking at a mini-budget, or they're looking at doing something, and on the other hand, the Taoiseach is saying different. So what we have is we have the, the two government parties now fighting over themselves. The bottom line is we need a mini-budget. People are struggling. And to go back to the point there, people who are earning 40, 50, 60,000, they need help as well. And that's what we're looking to help do as also. And what are you going to do with them, Tommy? Like these, are, have, people, these are the nurses, these are, these are the nurses, these are the people in yeah. call centres, they're living at home with their mother, they can't afford accommodation. The rent relief is probably no good to them, right? 200 euros is no good to them. We want solid taxes, not something that you throw around, little scratch to keep little boys happy every now and again. Fix the taxes. We will take the vote of the universal social charge. Well, are you going to go forward in the next election and say that on, on your documentation that it, well, you, what I would you're going say to eliminate you the ATC and you're going to fix taxes? Because that's what people no, want. Jim, no, Jim, if you Google Pierre Starty Universal Social Charts, it'll give you all the details. If you Google Pierre Starty now, you'll see the row with Faradkar. What did you make of that? Yeah, well, Neil, I'll put it this way. It's, it's fine for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to be talking about rows when people can't heat their holes, houses or feed their children. And that's, like, that's the situation here. When, when this government is, is in trouble, they start dragging up things about the past. The problem is there was a, there was a thousand or two thousand people on the streets in Cork on Saturday. What they want is to know what the other actors do to help people. Not talking about standing up and looking good in front of all the senior buddies. They want 
you don't want Leo Varadkar to have a mini budget to help people. Mm. What did what did Pierce Doherty say about it afterwards? Did you chat with him about it? What Varadkar said? No, I was actually doing uh, RT live at the time, Neil, where you do read us questions. So that's, I was actually in there and I went straight to a meeting afterwards. But like, like Pierce has always been careful because he's a really strong performer. People really respect what he's saying. And I think what happened was last Wednesday night, Fiend Miguel held a, 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 da- a, a celebration of 11 years of power. Yeah. If you ask any of the people who are on the streets in Saudi, do they think we should be celebrating Fine Gael being 11 years in power? But they're allowed to have a dinner if they want and they pay for it themselves, you know? There's nothing to do with Sinn Féin. The the point was they were celebrating. Fine Gael was celebrating 11 years in power. Now, Neil, I have over 30 families who are going to be evicted between now and Christmas, right? People who These are people who are working. These are people with jobs. These are people who can afford to rent a yeah, property. Yeah. But they're going to be evicted because they have nowhere to go. Now, I, I dealt with a mother on Saturday who was very emotional with me about her son and his wife and her grandparents' kids being evicted. So, like, this is the reality. So, Fianna Gale... Yeah, just fine. Yeah, one last one right. then, Jim. I need to yeah. move on. Yeah. Tommy, would you agree, so, that the, the sitting government, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gale, are the new terrorists in this country for what they're doing to the Irish people. No hospitals, well, kids dying, people have been shown up the street. The British Army wouldn't have done this to us. Would you agree that they are now the new terrorists and that you're going to sort them out, move them out and fix fix what's wrong? Yes or no? And you see, Jim, that kind of language, like, if you're de- I deal with a lot of parents with children with disabilities who can't get services. We were out there, I know you covered it on your show, Neil, uh, the first campaign, right? They're not, they're not interested in about calling people's names. They need services for their children. The people whose homes are cold, they need them heated. We want to be constructive. We want the Taoiseach to say no. We need a budget to help the people. All right. Okay, let me get some more calls on there. Thank you both, gentlemen. Tommy Gould, Jim O'Hearn, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone yourself. And or indeed, you can always uh, email Neil at uh, redfm.ie. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeed. Mike says there would have been many more there on Saturday, but for the Cork match, says Mike. Facts are the government couldn't give a rats. They're making way too much money. It's a total joke. The turnout on Saturday was less than 1% of the Cork population, Neil. You need to share that stat. Okay, text 0868-104-106. John, good morning. Thanks for holding. What's on your mind? I was listening with interest there to the conversation that was uh, going. Yeah, I was going and, to give uh, someone like Jim an opportunity to talk to a TV oh, yeah. directly. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you brought up the, the, the what you call it, the, the argument between between Varadkar and and, uh, and Doherty. Yeah. Well, well, Doherty uh, done his, his his time or whatever he got, he's fine or whatever. Whereas Varadkar is still kicking it down the road. And, no, uh, no, he's not. Uh, it's the DPP yeah. have to make a decision. Oh, oh. Ah, yeah, but according to Varadkar, from any uh, statement that he's made, it's all it's all in hand. And what do we, what does he mean by it's all in hand? No, he never. It's, uh, the, it's not. It, that's not what he meant. It means that he can't well, comment on it while the DPP is making a decision. Yeah, well, well, he's not too upset about it, is he? Well, I mean, he should have been. He, but he should have been sacked. It's as simple as that. Has to be proven be. first, though. You know. How much of there is proof? He's, he's, he's admitted giving the information yeah. to his buddy. Yeah. No, but he should have been sacked. Yeah, okay, well, maybe proven and that it is actually an offence has been committed. Yeah, but so, you know. yeah, well, he admitted. I mean, if, you, if you're cautioned, if you're cautioned by the police, or you're asked questions by the police, and you admit to a statement, that's held against you. 
that's the first evidence that they take and that's what's used against you in court. Mm. Mm. Do, and, then, do, and, that, and that's the law. Yeah. Now, getting back, getting back to the heating of the homes, which is a, a big problem, if you were living in Germany, you'd have no problem because Germany has gone back to using coal-fed turbines. And, As and, in and they've, 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 they, they've decided to burn more fossil fuels, is it? Yeah, because, uh, and they've been doing it for some time, but it's obviously become blatant now because they're coming out public with it. They started this after Fukushima blew up and they shut down all their nuclear stuff. They've been burning coal for some time. Uh, yet, yet Mrs. Murphy down the road can't get a bag of coal unless she has 40 euros. But, but Germany makes their own rules like they did when they moved the goalpost the time that Germany was in trouble and the German government bailed them out where the Irish government told the Irish companies we can't help it, it would be against the EU regulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Germany makes their own regulations and, and uh, just nobody has a problem with it. I haven't heard any Irish TD uh, co- commenting on it. Uh, Eamon Ryan has probably gone to ground in case he might be asked a question on it. You're saying so that we should follow the German lead and burn more coal and turf. What? I'd burn whatever I had to keep my house warm and I, and I couldn't care who was upset about it. Yeah, no, but it's, it's not as easy as that as being able to afford to buy it. Listen, there's plenty of timber knocked around the country and I know people don't have access to it and can't can gather it and, and, and whatever. But we're, we're being led a merry dance here by people who are... Who are on the pulse of whatever the EU come up with, and that's all they follow. We need we need a sovereign government in this country for a sovereign Irish people. We're after bailing out the whole world, and we're, we're in the height of trouble because there was no leadership. We have no leadership now. Mm. We have no leadership. You, might, you, 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 can, you can stop calling yourself. If you think we've leadership, we have two parties who couldn't get a vote amongst them, so they decided to do a sweetheart deal uh, just the end government to, 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 to feather their own. Yeah, I, you, yeah, but I know, but we've always had coalitions here, you know, it could be Labour I, I, involved yeah, in yeah, it, I, the PDs used to be involved in it, yeah. there's nothing new there. I mean, I'm, I okay, Fianna no, Fáil, Fianna Gael, that's a new thing, I get that. I, yeah, I, 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 so there you go. The, the, the 1920 went out the window. They should, when next day they're going out to be in the blah, they should bring down a blanket and cover uh, Michael Collins below because he'd, he'd be embarrassed to see what's going on. We have no leadership in this country, none, and we've had no leadership for some time. All right, we okay. have nothing. We have nothing running that you could put your finger on and say that was a success. You see, it's not just any one thing that needs to be fixed. But let's say you had an opportunity, what would you fix? Oh, the government. I throw the government out, and I'd, and I'd put people in uh, across party people uh, who are good at their job, not, not party politics. Party politics has ruined Ireland. Yeah, because all they do is bicker and fight amongst themselves. So you get nothing well, done you, when you're bickering well, or looking over your shoulders. Well, you, you, vote, you vote for, I said, said this before, you hire a guy down in Cork, you vote for him, he goes up to Dublin and he's taught what he can say and what he can't say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you only, do you only, do you only I tell you straight, we should all move down to Kerry. Because the brothers below in Kerry are the only boys that seem to be getting the thing right. They know what's wrong, they've got their finger on the pulse and they get it done. And you don't get in their way because they have such a majority vote, they don't need parties. Okay, let me get some texts on the air. Thank you, John, as always. Uh, Marion Douglas says, just to let you know, on Taoiseach and Michael McGrath did a walk around at the summer show yesterday afternoon. They were pressing the flesh. It looked like me, to me, as if they were on an election campaign. So they were at the summer show yesterday, at least me, Hall Martin. 
and Michael McGrower. If Fine Gael were doing their job and running the country properly, they wouldn't have to draw up a book of dirt on Sinn Féin. Just shows how afraid Fine Gael are of Sinn Féin. They were both wrong in the doll, as in Varadkar and... Uh, um, Pierce Doherty and took politics to a new low, says Desi. Why do they insist on calling the new children's hospital the National Children's Hospital? Face facts. It's a Dublin hospital, not a national one. Another one. Good man Leo in the doll. Hypocritical Sinn Féin as usual. Leo Varadkar in power over 10 years and look at the state of the country. A few weeks ago it was the Healy Rays and the away with the fairies comment. It seems that all he can do when challenged on the mess that the country is in is to start insulting the opposition. It reminds me of Donald Trump. Uh, wouldn't it be great radio if you got the Healy Ray version of Leo versus Doherty? Thank you for those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Just a quick one on the rally on Saturday. Uh, Valerie, Valerie Conlon it was a former shop steward with Debenhams workers on, on Patrick's Street. We all remember the Debenhams strike, which went on and on and on. Um, some of the workers at uh, Debenhams, ex-workers at Debenhams, was there on Saturday also. Valerie, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Well, um, what did did everybody get work after the Debenhams shutdown? What happened well, there? No, there's, there's still people uh, looking for work. Uh, some people went back to retail. Other people are doing clerical. Some people are doing their courses. So it's a bit of a mixture and there's other people then that still haven't found anything. But if I remember correctly, wasn't that what was offered and eventually settled on was uh, money towards retraining only? Yeah, three yeah. million towards retraining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That Whereas, we're still trying to draw down. Did you, get a, did you get any of it? Well, now some people have gotten their fees paid, their um, college fees and things like that paid. But they're very, very slow in paying it out. You're put at the bottom of the list with all of the rest of the solace people that are looking for money. So it's taking months rather than a couple so of weeks. So even though three million was promised and uh, and you know begrudgingly and rightly so by you guys accepted in the end, um, people are still struggling to get that. And are their yeah. courses and their training suffering as a result of it? Well, no, because I, if if it's a case that um, you're doing a course, they'll uh, they'll pay the course straight away. But if you're looking back for money that you would have done a course before it was all agreed, they had said that they paid that, then people are still waiting for that type of money. Uh, any equipment that they need for the course, people are waiting for that money for months. So it's not know? made so. easy as usual, sure it's not? No, no. It's no, a bit like, it's a bit like the uh, 200 euro that people supposedly got, you know, this bonus for energy costs. It wasn't yeah. 200 at all. It was significantly less than that because you had to take the VAT off it. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it actually was something in the region of 165 euro people got yeah. and, and not 200. Then the back, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. What did you make of Saturday? Well, you know what, now, I know people were saying that they should be more at it. There was a, nearly, there was a thousand people there on Saturday. It's the first of hopefully a few more um, protests like that. And the fact that that amount of people did turn up, it was great. They, people were very passionate about it. You know, people are fed yeah. up. They but when you compare it. then the tens of thousands that went to the summer show, what is that telling you? Oh, well, no, you can't compare it at the end of the day. People have been waiting for those kind of outings for the last two years. That, that's something that they planned into their lives. Uh, so they, you can't compare the two things. And a lot of people will sit at a table and complain about something rather than get up and do it. Yes, yes. You yeah, know? Yeah. So, like, so they are talking about it. They are giving out about it. They're going on the radio giving out about it. They're sending in texts giving out about it. But they have to get on their feet as well. 
And that yeah. happened with some. You say, oh, some are suggesting there might have been 2,000 there. Uh, I'm not going to say there was 2,000. There was definitely 1,000, over 1,000, but it wouldn't probably reach the 2,000. Okay. Now, as I was saying, like when we turned on uh, to the Grand Parade, you could see, like, because I was at the back, I was stewarding at the back, and you could see the crowd, and it looked, it looked fabulous, you know, because it was such a good turnout. But uh, I wouldn't have said there was two, but there was definitely a thousand people okay. there. Okay. And Valerie, what about your own good self after Devlin's close? Do you mind me asking, what did you decide to do? Uh, well, I'm starting a course at the end of this month, but as well as that, I'm, I'm actually working full time. Um, I didn't go back to retail because it's too volatile and I'd be afraid the same thing would happen to me again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't go through that again. Yeah. So I'm doing clerical at the moment. Okay. All right. Well, good luck with that and indeed Thank the course much. as well. Thanks for taking the call, Valerie. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And the subject of the summer show, it looked absolutely incredible. It really and truly did. And I could see it, as I say, coming back yesterday. And uh, masses of people in cars. Now, not necessarily just talking about the traffic jams, which were f- pretty hairy, but all of the cars packed up and the massive big white tents. They just went on for field after field after field. Uh, Kevin was there, um, struggled to get in at the start, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> I did, had a bit of an effort trying to get in but at got the start. there in the end. Did, did get there. Actually, it wasn't... I kind of got lucky in where he parked, so we weren't too bad getting in and out. It was a bit of a walk, but sure, it was a fine day. And Some fella parked a BMW just on the grass verge of the link going <laughs> west. Did you see that? She just left it there. <laughs> well, I suppose if you want to talk about easy access back out onto the link, then that's one way. Literally just park on the verge. And it's like, <laughs> drove up onto the hump. Yeah, and it wasn't in the most inconspicuous spot either. Yeah, it was right in the road. Well, I certainly admire his courage or her courage, whoever well, it was was taken anyway that's the least um, no it was brilliant I have to say even though that traffic was very heavy I mean look it's in an area where it's going to be very hard to manage traffic and I would say in fairness there was a big guard of presence when I left um, on the Saturday they were all out direct or on Sunday should I say um, all out directing traffic all out doing their bits but um brilliant just I thought it was a fantastic thing to have um, you know it, I, I'd never seen equestrian properly I'd never seen a proper Grand Prix I'd never seen a sheep judging competition <laughs> you know I've, <laughs> I've never you know there's so many there's so many aspects where I'm a city boy I'm like you Neil um, I go out into the country and the first thing I get the smell of the country and I start to pine for home but uh, it don't is. include me in that thank you very much <laughs> I loved how you put it from lamb judging to lamb burgers yeah, I know because of course a big part of the day out of course is food and there's huge amounts of food offerings massive amount of food offerings and also just you know in terms of crafts local crafts I know um, some of the, the wood turners were there doing their bit as well there so uh, they, they were showing some fine stuff so like there was a real display of the kind of crafts arts and crafts food produce events you know some of the show jumpers were absolutely superb so it was just great a great sample of Cork rural and city life let's say what you had to say but not in a, a normal mug as we call it uh, can I ask your own name uh, Tom Allison Tom and Tom uh, amazing you guys here are working obviously as blacksmiths I think a lot of people wouldn't know that fully fledged blacksmiths still exist yeah there's not as many blacksmiths now as farriers uh, about 500 farriers working in Ireland but under 100 blacksmiths left what's the most common question you get asked 
<laughs> do you get burned? <laughs> and? Yes, almost every day. <laughs> but I saw you're so used to it now at this point. Well, it's not from grabbing hot bits of metal. Red hot bits, they do not touch me. It's either when they lose that red colour at 500 degrees, you can forget which part's hot, or it's the bits of the fire landing on you, or the bits of scale coming off the outside landing on you. What's, is it a he or she, first of all? Sorry. It's a he. Okay, and what's his name? Lupo. Lupo. Okay, and what's Lupo entering in? Um, He just did the groom, best groomed dog, and he's going into large dog, and he'll be doing child handling, and the dog that the judge would like to take home. Oh my god, so he is uh, a cloud with a face on it and legs attached, I think. What kind of breed is he? A rough collie. A rough collie. Absolutely gorgeous. And come here, are you enjoying the show? Yeah. Yeah, having a great time. What's your favourite part of it apart from the dogs? Uh, the amusement park. Right, I'm joined by uh, the amazing, the magnificent, the incredible Billy Bubbles. Uh, which which one of three is the, is the best one to apply? Uh, well, I suppose I'm that and... Uh, Maybe less than that, depending on who you ask, I suppose. But yeah, for my sins, my name is uh, Billy Bubbles. When I'm doing these shows, I do the magic shows here at Cork Summer Show uh, on the main stage, uh, littered throughout the day with uh, magic shows and around the likes of Sharon Shannon and the Army Band and people like that. So it's a great fun atmosphere here. We're having a great, uh, great weekend, and it's great to be back in Cork, in the real capital, after two years of, of COVID layoff. Is there a lot of audience participation? Yeah, it's a bit. I always describe my show as a bit like panto magic, really. So there's a lot, a lot of interaction. I get some of the kids up on stage to help. Uh, but at these kind of events, I mean, I do a lot of children's birthday parties and you know five and six year old birthday parties. But these kind of events, it's more of a family magic show. So although it's aimed at the kids and without the kids, it wouldn't work. It really does, you know, entertain. I'd like to think entertain the entire family. And yourself, how did you end up getting into this this line of work? Oh, long story. Well, as a kid, uh, this will be lost on anybody who's under 40, but there was a very famous magician on TV when I was a kid in the UK who had a primetime Saturday night show called Paul Daniels, and I used to watch it when I was seven or eight or whatever. Then drifted away from it for a while, and then I um, I basically got a job in a toy shop that had a magic counter in Dublin, and I got onto the magic counter there, and then a couple of other magicians used to come in and out, and one of them took me under his wing, and I did an unofficial apprenticeship, I suppose. Um, so I've never had a proper job. Uh, I put myself through college doing magic, and then dropped out of college to to be a full-time professional magician so thankfully I've been able to make a living and provide for a family by being a messer and some judges will line him up randomly and make a decision as he's going by and tapping the the, the first place, the second place, Getting on the show, so what's your own name? Lewis. 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 And, uh, okay, so how, are you enjoying the show today? Yes. What's your favourite bit of it? Uh, the machinery or the food. Yeah, and are you going to be going into farming yourself, do you think? No. Oh, you just like the machinery? Yeah. And uh, come here, what do you think uh, of the sheep? Which, which one is your favourite? Any in particular? That, that one. Why, why, why them? Uh, I don't know. Just like the colour of them. Oh, what's your name? Joey. Joey. And where are you from, Joey? Cork. Cork. And uh, Joey, are you enjoying the show? Yeah. Yeah. And what's your favourite part of it? So can we have all the first the sheep. winners, please? The sheep. Why is, what is it about the sheep you like so much? For the judge to decide. I like the colour your full name if you don't mind Dan Kelleher brilliant and Dan you're here with the Ballancolic Vintage Motor Club 
Um, I can see your own mini over in the corner there. Is that the bright yellow one? The yellow one, yes, that's right. That's <laughs> so, the corner with the other minis. <laughs> and what is it about the, the Vintage Rally Club that you're so popular around the country, aren't they? Yes, yes, they are indeed. There's people who are show us nostalgia and you have our heritage involved in it as well. Like, so people like to see what they were young when they were young what they had and that kind of several people come up to me and said I had one of them when I was young but my first car was a Mini and there were loads of us just going into it how they used to all fit into it I met a fellow in Valencia but they were in a run in Valencia there recently they were the touring run they were doing a bear and doing a carry melancholy vintage stuff and I met a person in Valencia Island and they said to me we used to go on holidays in one of them myself and my wife and three kids and the luggage and we used to take our portable television with us <laughs> do you know so like kind of where they used to put it I was just shaking my head. I do not know. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's very good. So, I might ask you first of all your own name, Martin Coleman. Brilliant. And Martin, look, uh, I suppose from the real to the virtual, from to the to the RC, because we were only over with the vintage uh, car club recently, and uh, I suppose a very different style of of racing. Um, they're four wheel drive, are they? But they're front steering. Yep, four wheel drive, front steering. Um, some people use the back wheels to steer as well. You might see them drifting around the corner and having a bit of fun. Um, but yeah, they're four wheel drive front steering um, little engines in them they're quite powerful engines they they get up to maybe 70 kilometers an hour if they had a big enough um, area to get up to that speed Ella, and what's your dog's name funny and she's a pom yes absolutely gorgeous uh, and you guys won first place today what's uh, in best groomed best groomed well I'm not surprised she looks absolutely so fluffy uh, what's the best thing about Bonnie um, she's a lovely personality and um, she's my best friend really that's lovely and it certainly was lovely great atmosphere there from the summer show at the weekend and so many people turned out and by and large the weather was kind text 0868104106 got an interesting email uh, from John who's in Canada he asks I have a quick question for you what's the story with the next selection well about two two and a half years I suppose it's a public vote for the next Taoiseach correct well technically not really you know the Taoiseach has then decided I suppose by and large uh, it's usually the person that leads the the, the party into the election uh, but not always. I ask that question because I keep hearing that Leo is the Taoiseach in waiting. What's that all about? Anyone I talk to doesn't want him or Hall to be leaders and I'll tell you one thing, if there's a legitimate vote then Sinn Féin will win the next general election, right? Um, well, it depends on how they put forward, I suppose. And if they don't, then there'll be something seriously wrong because Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have destroyed the country for decades and it's time for change. I have my doubts, though, that we'll get a legitimate election because it seems to me that they have it all tied up and keep passing power back and forth between the two parties, scratching each other's backs. Also, with regards to your piece recently about people struggling to pay for, say, coal or fuel and on St. Vincent de Paul's help, even though I'm not living in Ireland at the moment, it feels like my situation. I'm in my 30s, living in Canada. Uh, I'm struggling to make ends meet as well as paying for petrol every week and struggling to put food on the table here and to pay my rent. I'm struggling to keep going and I'm just about able to keep a roof over my head. I don't tell my parents back home how, how bad things are because they shouldn't be digging me out at this stage of my life. But it's just hard to keep going and to stay positive. I wouldn't say I'm suicidal, but I think if I was a drinker, I would definitely have those kind of thoughts. I keep myself fit and healthy the best I can because that helps, keeps me in a positive mental attitude. But some days it just gets me down desperately. And I can guarantee you there's a lot of people in the exact same situation as me. Unfortunately, I bet you we're going to lose some people 
through these dark days ahead. And that brings me back to my original point. The Irish government are just not doing enough and they definitely don't want the likes of me coming home either. Love the show, listen all of the time. Don't give up my details for obvious reasons. Appreciate that email uh, from Canada. I hope things improve for you. I really and truly do. Uh, And I suppose only time will tell. But keep yourself fit and healthy and keep working on the positive mental attitude. Text 0868104106. We're back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Right. Red FM. Back to calls in a minute, but uh, some texts that have been coming across my desk of interest to all of us. I'm a civil servant. I'm being paid a tiny bit above minimum wage. A civil servant being paid a tiny bit above minimum wage. I drive 40 kilometres to and from work as I live in West Cork. My fuel costs 80 euro a week as my car is old and inefficient, but I cannot afford a new car. My car tax is €600 Euro a year. I teach five exercise classes a week to try to get, get a bit more income, which costs me more in rent, fuel, and 25% of my profit goes to the taxman. I'm very grateful to have a permanent pensionable job, but it does not pay. My partner is a tradie, as in a tradesperson qualified in Eastern Europe, so his qualifications are not recognized here. He gets paid less than his colleagues, but is expected to manage these people and train apprentices. He works in Cork and pays €120 Euro per week in fuel, back and forth. So that's €200 Euro per week in fuel for the two of us. We never go to dinner for a drink or even a Sunday spin anymore because it's just too expensive. We work all day every day and are absolutely exhausted. I can tell you one thing, for us this is not living. Uh, There's another one, contacting you in relation to something that I hear very frequently on your show now and it drives me mad to hear the idiots who keep saying time after time, look after our own first. Okay, the government is letting down the people of Ireland massively. But you read out texts daily about people saying we should look after the Irish first, given out about immigrants, given out about people who moved here, given out about people who aren't Irish. And I think it's small mindedness. I'm Irish and I live in Canada. I get good health care here. I'm able to sign up for the dole if I need it. No handouts. And I'm treated the same as everyone else. There are thousands upon thousands of Irish people abroad who are treated very well in Canada, America, Australia, the UK, around Europe, around the world. So this nonsense that people say we should look after our own first, giving out about immigrants, is nonsensical. First of all, they are allowed to be here. They are given visas, so it's not their fault for coming. Also, they are contributing to the economy. They too pay taxes. If there are sponges here, that's different. But I bet there's Irish sponges abroad as well. People, open your minds. Yes, the people of Ireland are being screwed left, right and centre. But let's not blame the people who have moved to Ireland, especially victims of war who didn't have choice. Let's welcome the folks who moved to our beautiful country and not create division. I ask you, Neil, it's fine uh, is if they're scoring goals for Ireland, though, isn't it? And that, of course, uh, is an email to come in to Neil at redfm.ie. A lot of contributions coming in from Canada this morning. Um, just content in relation to something I hear frequently in your show, driving me mad, the idiot saying, look after our own first. 
Um, one or two more emails and texts. We do not need a government uh, for housing and health and all the things that we struggle with. The Irish public are now housing each other. We have, we're having to go abroad for health care. What exactly are our politicians being paid for when the Irish people are forced to do it all for themselves? Where is the millions and millions of taxpayers' money being pumped into the HSE going? I'll tell you where. The HSE are using this to fund their own lifestyles. The whole organisation should be torn down. Administration and management are running the country into the ground while laughing at the public with their big cars and holidays. It's the public's purse at the end of the day. Micheál Martin is the worst ever. How dare he treat Irish people like this? Housing Ukrainians to make and look like a golden boy in front of the European Union. How many more stories do we have to listen to whilst they laugh and laugh all the way to their own personal bank accounts. On politicians here in Ireland, the faces in Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin will all change, but no political party will ever change the way this country is going. We have burdened our children and our great-grandchildren with chains around their necks that they will never break free from. I hear all the time about all the new jobs our government are bringing into the country. But when you look at the track record of politicians in general, we, the public, the general public, gain very little from these multinational companies. The employees will have jobs and will pay top tax rates, yet the multinational companies will either pay nothing or very little. What have these companies given to this country? A huge lack of housing, overcrowded hospitals, very little places in our education programmes. We're going from crisis to crisis and the problems are only getting bigger. If these politicians were in private companies and had a record like this, like the one they have in the public sector, they'd have been fired a long time ago. The population has grown by almost 2 million people since the mid-80s. Yet our government has passed our public housing, our hospitals and our schools over to the private sector. Do you think we can manage with less of everything and the population growing all of the time? The worst thing that ever happened was the local councils no longer building houses, building the public houses. This didn't happen by accident. It was self-inflicted by successive governments... All we've had is Fianna Fall in, Fianna Gale out, and the other way around. It's like musical chairs, but it's with real people's lives. God love our elderly and young people, and anyone coming into this country. We should be a thriving, successful country, but our government have wasted every opportunity they had. They will continue to do so until we grow a pair and take to the streets like the French. We have bad memories when it comes to elections. We either have given up and refused to vote, or we'll vote opposite to our last in protest. But what we really need to do is get rid of these gangsters in suits. And that's a selection for you. And believe me when I tell you, there's a lot more where that came from. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. And just one final text for now. You're on about the cost of living this morning. Uh, yeah, many mornings. But what about those in direct provision centres? I'm an employee of one and see that almost 40% of the centre that I'm in have had their papers for over 12 months but are refusing to leave because they get their food and accommodation for free and some drive flash cars. I don't blame them for doing it but I do blame the government for not acting on it. Once they're employed they should be out and fending for themselves like the rest of us. Uh, I don't think you mean that. Oh yeah, I suppose once their um, papers have been cleared and they've been allowed to stay and given, I guess, landed immigrancy status they should be out and fending from the, for themselves like the rest of us. That's an employee saying that 40% in one particular centre have their papers over 12 months refuse to leave because they get their food and accommodation uh, for free. Um, 
bear in mind, there's a big bad world out there if you come out of a direct provision centre and you have to go looking for a job or, I don't know, would you get uh, some kind of help with... Um, I don't think you'd get preferential treatment on a housing list, would you? Open to correction on that. Anyway, text 0868 104 106. Absolutely delighted to have an opportunity eventually to talk to Dennis Sheehan. And I'll tell you why. Joe Kerrigan started all of this in the Echo about a week ago, teasing us, uh, putting up photographs of the Cork horse troughs asking people to identify where particular ones were. Uh, don't you love that kind of cork nostalgia when you can look at the past and wonder, why was that there? Or why did they use that? Or what did that mean? Or, you know, what's that sign about? Dennis Sheehan has been doing uh, videos and making movies and films on 8mm for over 35 years. Joins me by phone. Dennis, good morning. Hi, Nate. How are you? It's great to chat with you. You're, you're a Ballyfalan, Ballyfalan man, is that right? Yeah, close enough to Blackpool. So, and your family and before you, where were they from? Um, up in Farmingby, uh, just at the back of Farming Towers on on uh, Farming Towers Avenue. Love it. Okay. So, as I yeah. was saying in the intro, you've been making film and posting YouTube videos for a long time now, right? Yeah. And one yeah, particular one that we shared on our own Facebook, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, was one that you did. Uh, it's fantastically done, actually. Um, identifying the locations of the horse troughs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've I've been doing it over the past couple of weeks. Um, you know, once I found the last one in Farm and Forest, I knew that I'd enough material to do the rest. Did you use Google um, Maps for that? Where you zoom in and out from space, if you like? Yeah, there's um, it, there's a free program, um, Google Earth Pro. Um, you can use it to make animations and uh, you know to circle around objects and and things like that. Great tool, and it's a uh, Free. What do you know about the horse troughs, though? Um, well, look, I, I use um, uh, OSI maps as well, the OSI townland map, and um, from that, um, I, you know, what I what I did use for I know export on it, but um, uh, that just the one in Douglas Street is in its original location. It looks to be plumbed in and everything. Um, all the rest seem to have a. Uh, have been moved. Have been moved around, yeah, 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 yeah. But they yeah, were, like, you see, I was off. I'd love to know who carved and made them, right? Because the lads yeah, were telling me uh, that they yeah. were they were originally put in place in is it eighteen fifty two? Was it? Yeah. Um, well, there's there's um, a limestone block on on um, Academy Street just over Bunsen it has the same sort of design and. Um, has on that building that it's from 1852. But according to the National Inventory of um, Architecture, they put the dates between 1870 and 1890. So there's a bit of a mystery. We don't know. But of course, the the reason for them was because all goods and services were drawn by horse and cart, yeah? Yeah, And horses needed water at key locations. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, I think, um, you know, the one in Pana Place was just originally on the road. Um, Lower Glanmire Road was in front of, um, you know, there used to be a petrol station. There was a shop. The Unity Garage, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It was just in front there. It was sort of facing north or south. Um, The one in St. Luke's was originally behind the toll booth that was in the centre of the road. So that one got definitely um, got moved to the footpath, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did, yeah. yeah. I mean, and that was the most difficult to try and get, try and get um, an image of because uh, the, the pub was sort of 
it, it's nearly inside in the pub, so I just that all. <laughs> At least it wasn't taken away. I mean, a lot of the places that you're talking about, certainly anything to do with Parnell Place or yeah. areas like that or down, say, the Keys, that would be because they would have been making, bringing a massive amount of goods to and from ships, the horses, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and um, like on the OSI maps, they have ones that are missing as well. There was one in Horgan's Key, one outside the passport office in, in the South Mad. Go away. Um, there was one in Anglesey Street in where the, um, the Garda uh, car park is at the right. moment. Yeah. Um, one in Pope's Quay, one in the end of Barrack Street, and um, a friend of mine, Captain Barrett, um, let me know last night there was one outside the river, the, um, the Jory's Hotel. So there could have been, there could have been a dozen there. of them then, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. But you, you'll find that... Um, I, wonder they in the, I wonder if those other ones are still around or in the, maybe in Cork City Council lockup or something, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, Catherine was telling me that the one by Jory's Hotel was actually put in the river. And I hadn't got a chance to go down and have a look at it. But why? It sort of Did you say that, why? No, no. Um, uh, just uh, uh, someone told the right thing about it. But it was... Um, it sort of adds up when you go that way because the one... All the other ones that are missing were right beside the, the river, like Horgan's Key, Pope's, Pope's Key. Yeah. Not the one in Anglesey Street, um, but the one in the end of Barrack Street. You know, it could have been just disposed of that way. Yeah, I did um, hear in the past that a lot of the time with old block and old brick, maybe including limestone, that sometimes they yeah. stored them, believe it or not, underwater so that they wouldn't yeah. perish or something. I, I don't know. But you identified Maybe. six, didn't you? So at the Douglas yeah. Street one, at the Capwell End, the Parnell Place one at the bus station, the Lower yeah. Glanmar Road, it's just by McLaughlin's, isn't it? The one in St. Luke's outside yeah. Henchies. Yeah. The Watercourse Road one was the fifth, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, um, what my thinking is, that doesn't show up on the old map, but um, O'Connor Street is a fairly wide street for, for the rest of Blackpool. And my, my assumption was that they might have had a median down the centre of it where they would have had a horse trough because on some research that people done, they mentioned that it's on O'Connor Street. So uh, I'm not too sure if that would make sense yeah. or yeah. just going assuming too much but um, I mean it, it wasn't in the location it was anyway because that was um, that that street wouldn't be in as wide I don't think back then but the uh, sixth the one then right yeah you know, that's the mystery uh, what? Yeah. talk to us about that one um, I I seen it about when I was going up to Pittman training in in Clarin Terrace um, that must have been about 10 or 12 years ago and I thought I'd imagined it but um I went up there recently and and just had a look, and it's still there in the school. It, it's it's just inside the wall, just behind more or less where the security is. Um, Farm Ferris College School. Farm Ferris College, yeah. Near and the bishops, um, would they be near the bishop's palace? Yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing. Maybe the bishop was important enough to get one, but <laughs> um, it was it was uh, it's it's not like placed on the ground. It's it's dead level on a hill, so it. It was deliberately sort of placed there. And whether it was the one from Anglesey Street, maybe it's the only one that sort of wasn't by a river. Um, <laughs> What's or it doing it was there? Put there? Is it plumbed yeah. in? It's not plumbed in, no. So it probably wasn't in the 
your original location. But if you go back through the OSI maps, there was actually buildings at, at that part. Um, you know, it matched uh, between 1888 and 1913. So there, there was buildings at that part. Maybe it could have been a stable. You wouldn't know, but... Um, Maybe. I mean, yeah, it, I mean you, they're fairly weighty to be moving them, like, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, I couldn't imagine them be moved um, around that time period because um, I think buses and trucks were only popular in Cork around then. 1930. Well, these, so, these these horse troughs precede anything to do with mechanical engineering of that yeah. sort from the 1850s yeah, or 60s but, or whatever. But what, maybe but, somebody's listening who knows why it's up on yeah. Redemption Road in Farron Ferris, the sixth one. Yeah. What kind of condition are they in, by and large? Uh, they seem to be good. Um, there's a bit of a crack out in Douglas Street and seem to be an attempt to paint it, but the rest are unpainted. They're, they seem to last through the ages. Um, you know, a couple of them have got knocks from uh, trucks, probably not a car that disintegrated the car. I'd say, but, uh, <laughs> the car will you know, come off. Work. Don't they? Pla- they, yeah. they use they plant in them, don't they? A lot of the time, shrubs and flowers and things like that. Yeah, there is. Yeah, a lot of them uh, have have. Um, they're well looked after. Other ones are just um, uh, growing wild lettuce. The one up in Town Terrace is sort of just as a um, couple of trees growing out of it at the moment. So maybe. Probably need a bit of care and care. Yeah, it, a little you know, bit of TLC. Yeah, I'd love to know because they're quite ornate, aren't they, Dennis? I'd love to know yeah, who carved them, though. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, they're, they're more ornate than than what they need to be for for them. Yeah, you know, yeah, for the function. Model. Yeah. If you look around, then um, you know, if you search, um, you know, uh, Hostrofs, they were in um, Dublin as well. Obviously, on Smithfield, but they're they're just more or less. Um, a stone block with um, water. No, ours are much more ornate. They're absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah, yeah I mean, you're, you're counting upwards of a dozen of them, six of them on display yeah. still, one of them in Farron Ferris, and the other one's dotted around the around the city. Love to know yeah. who carved them, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, I, I'm not too sure who was around in that time period. It yeah. was because it's sort of, it's, it's sort of a disputed time period, really. But um, I know the same design is on that, block on Bunsen and the building is dated on the top from 1850. I know what you're saying. But you see, the stonemasons back in the day would have been very, very, very skilled craftsmen. Very skilled. And would have been well capable of of sculpting all of those out of limestone. And there are a couple of dog troughs as well, aren't there? Well, I know of one of them, right? I should have got that as well, but I'll leave that for the next video, I think. What what um, other kind of videos do you do around Cork? Well, um, I'm sort of uh, going through another one, you know, uh, focusing on the top of buildings because of, um, you know, people walking past that uh, wouldn't wouldn't really, you miss a lot of the detail at street level. But it's, um, yeah, I found a few places now, right? Um, You know, there used to be a a court and panelists, a red building there that's next to the bank. Uh, It's stuff that, um, didn't know that. Pass all the time, really. I didn't know yeah. that. Do you? And how do you do? You use a drone at all for aerial stuff, or do you use the handheld camera? I, um, I used the drone up. Um, I went up to uh, Bridge uh, Town Abbey, up in up by um, Ballyhooley. We used the drone for that, but the the laws are, are strict for in the centre. Yeah, you know, in the city centre, um, and even around where I'm living, because of Collins's barracks. Yeah. So it's it's only really out in 
out in the wild that you you could use it. It's um, I mean the the drawing is licensed and everything, but the, yeah. the rules are um are strict on it. But you know, I'd I'd, I'd love to start to use it at a, a lower level, but um. No, can do in the city centre. Oh, I know. I love how you put it, though. You says, I like to reveal history hidden in plain sight. Horse troughs yeah. are a typical example of that. If we could only get more people to look up off, look up out of their mobile phones and look around them. Isn't true? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, even, you know, in the old bank in um, and the corner of Pound and Tess and so mad, I mean, the, the effort that people put in, you know, to put, you know, the cab in, in the street commerce, the whole that up in the top of it. Um, I was lucky enough to get um, a new camera that can sort of focus in on them. Amazing. But um, yeah, this, this, um, I mean, it all started because someone asked me a question about how many, how many horse troughs was there. And then suddenly then I realized that I was walking past about two of them every, every morning and never knew they were there. Hidden in plain sight, isn't it true? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. A, and, and there's a lot more to, uh, to uncover on it. But okay. it, it's, um, it's, you know, anyone who's sort of filming now, you know, making videos for YouTube or for their own use and whatever, that um, people will use these in the future to look back at history, to be looking at the kind of I agree cars we're driving and the buildings and I what's totally there agree and with what's you. That's why you're doing important work. And people want to see the videos. Uh, how can they do it? What would they search on YouTube? Oh, if they, um, well, I, I just go under the name Ed N T V D E N T V on YouTube. <laughs> Um, sort of, uh, I used to use my own name, but uh, I, I sort of uh, <laughs> trying to practice makes perfect and trying to make it a bit more professional. I so think that's a good handle to have, Den TV. <laughs> Listen, will you yeah. stay in touch with everything else that you're planning in the future and we can chat again? Oh, I will, yeah. yeah no problem. Fair play to you. Den TV on YouTube, lads. Lovely chatting with you, Dennis. Take care. Thanks very much. Thank All you. the best. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. We'll just stay with this for a few minutes, if you don't mind, with regards to the horse troughs. Uh, we know of six. Douglas Street, Parnell Place, the Lower Road, uh, St. Luke's, Watercourse Road, and the sixth one at Farron Ferris up in Redemption Road. No idea what it's doing up there. We also know from Dennis Sheehan that there could have been upwards of a dozen, perhaps even more, uh, but some of them, or at least half of them, uh, cannot be found or located. The Cork historian Liam Heen might be able to solve the Farron Ferris mystery. Liam, good morning. Morning, Neil. Any idea um, why a horse trough is up by the Bishop's Palace? Well, I tell you, I was up there and I took a picture of it and there was young fellas playing there and I asked them did they know what it was. And they said, of course, we do it just for holding flowers. <laughs> <laughs> it is now, but it used to be for a long time. I still I know that, and I say to Richard and Tom, so they, they were looking at me as if I had two heads. Yeah, look at what I was on them. But it's still there. There's a there's a little headstone, or, or not a headstone, um, a memorial stone there for Tomas McPartin and uh, Tom Smack Sweeney, and he's just behind those stones. In the, in Farnfair School. In 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 the Norman School. In the Norman School. The Norman or Farnfair which? The Nartman, the Nartman. Go up to the Nartman School and you can't miss it. Oh, yeah, I'm confused now because Dennis said Farm Ferris. No, no, no. It's in the, I, have, I have a picture. I, I, if I can trace a picture there, no, I'll leave me alone at you. Right. But that's one story, right? But the, this is the best one that I lost. I knew this guy. He's still alive. <laughs> I won his name. I'm going back to the 50s now, Neil. When there was a, a horse trap up in um, where's the Bridges now, you know, in the Western Road there. Yeah. 
I was yeah. there was a horse trap there and this man was mad into fishing. <laughs> and he was fishing it under the river there. And if he caught his throat, he'd put him into the horse trap. <laughs> and he was this is true. And if you were passing up and you were talking to him, he said, if you want to buy one, I would don't sign the house off you pick one out and give me a few of them you can take it away. <laughs> He's running a little, he was running a little business out of the horse trough. Yeah. <laughs> he still is that man oh, I won't mention his name. He's retired, he's retired from the army. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how the horses like that idea of drinking water ah, from water that tasted of fish. <laughs> All the horses were nearly done at that stage. They were on the way out. But then there was another one in the Pernod Place. And when they were um, doing up Pernod Place there a couple of years ago, it must be six or seven years ago now, they, just, they dismantled the house trough. And I got onto the city hall about it. And it was in a... <laughs> In the course road is down in um, Anderson's Key. And when I went down, it was in about, I suppose, 15 or 16 pieces. And I insisted on their putting it back, and they put it back up again as it was. What about the other ones, though? Sorry? He said there could have been upwards of a dozen of them. Well, I didn't know a dozen, but no, but I know the ones he was talking about on Pope's Key and Douglas Street and uh, Dylan's Cross. And, um,. You're absolutely spot on. Horse Trough is located at the North Monastery. It's next to the Brother Burke building. It has flowers in it every day, including today. Uh, What's it doing there? Well, I, I was even thinking that it should be in a more prominent place, you know? Because <laughs> it's a historical thing, actually. It's a historical thing. And just to tell you another story, you know, I was down in this canal over the weekend, right? Yeah. And I... I made inquiries about um, Philip Ma- uh, Holland that invented discovered the, the submarine. submarine. Yeah, and I went into the Philip the Philip Hall- Holland um, heritage place. We know they hadn't a clue what I was talking about. He was and a the, brother in the Northman, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, they didn't even know that. And he and, and they, I think they, the Northman ultimately either sold or gave the plans for the submarine to the Americans, did they? That's correct. The Fenian was having the submarine. He, he made it for he made it for the Americans. I mean, when they couldn't hit the first one sank. <laughs> he designed the first prototype of a submarine yeah. in the AG in the Mon, didn't he? Yeah, that's correct. But they didn't know it just below in this canal. <laughs> I was amazed. I, I said, I said, to them, are you joking me? She says, so, so you want to go up the car sometime? I said, and pay a visit up to the Dartmouth Street. You'll get all the information you want done. Philip Hallett. Fair play to you, boy, as always. You're well, a anyway, fountain of knowledge. That's my little story now about the one I talked to one in the Western Road was the best of the whole lot. That's true, so, that's true, that's true, that's true. Just what was trout. he catching? Was it salmon, I suppose? Was trout, it? trout, trout. Trout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I suppose there was an old mullet thrown in there. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Throw another day. Many of those mullet yeah. made it into chippers, I think, and we didn't know what the difference. <laughs> Yeah. Just to go back to your man, you know, who was very interesting. I was listening to the way to him. Dennis so I, I, I yeah. have to tell you those. Fair play to you as always, Liam, at the end of the phone. Appreciate it. Take care. Text 0868104106. From one form of food to another, we were sent a, a photograph, uh, a screen grab, an actual photograph of a, a till receipt uh, yesterday. Um, it had um, an interesting array on the menu with regards to what was purchased. Two full Irish breakfasts at €12 Euro each. Eggs your way at six fifty. Americano, €3. Euro. Flat white, €3.20. Euro and then the interesting stuff. Side of tomato relish, one fifty, And brown sauce, 
150. And that's what struck us as being very, very odd that a restaurant or a cafe would charge for brown sauce because the brown sauce was obviously asked for when the two full Irish breakfasts were ordered. So people weren't particularly happy um, when they went in and had what was a damn good breakfast, incidentally, and charged one fifty for the brown sauce with their meal, and they sent me the bill. So the itemised bill showed a charge of one fifty for the brown sauce and the tomato relish. One would have thought that salt and pepper and vinegar and ketchup and brown sauce and all of these things would be complimentary because I've never been charged for brown sauce or for ketchup. Uh, I haven't been so charged for salt or, or black pepper or even a grinder of black pepper. So we got in touch with uh, Gallagher's gastropub who said that the charge was a genuine error. They said the charge was made by a trainee that they do charge for sauces that are made in-house, but that the charge for the brown sauce was an error. The pub said that they got in contact with the customer and offered, uh, them, offered them a pint or a lunch by way of an apology. Um, because they say that it was a trainee who made the charge and it was a charge in error. They don't charge for brown sauce. So at least that comes as a relief. Uh, mind you, it does say on the till receipt, brown sauce 150. Uh, because a, I googled a bottle of brown sauce this morning and the regular ones that we'd buy ourselves in a Dunn's or a Tesco or a Super Value is anything between 150 and 179 for the bottle. Um, I don't. I wouldn't even think that you know, charging even 20 cent or 30 cent for a little ramekin of brown sauce would be acceptable. These are the things that should be incorporated into the price of the breakfast. Anyway, a lot of people uh, got involved in that, just talking about other things. Now, they were very annoyed that there would be a charge for 150, but many were commenting before uh, they knew that we'd got in touch with Gallagher's and Gallagher's say that it was an error. Uh, pubs, cafes, restaurants, bistros should all be named... Uh, we are struggling. So, like the hotels, why should we have to be ripped off so that they can profit from us? They forget that we dug them out with staycations when they were crying that they had no money. And now look at the way they return our hospitality. Uh, that's very interesting, certainly from the point of view of the way hotels are behaving. You are so right there. They got all sorts of grants. They got all sorts of uh, assistance with regards to, um, you know, paying their bills and also paying their staff and the pup payments. They got VAT reduced and it's still at the low rate for them. And then they rip us off with room rates. It's no wonder people are going to Spain, Neil. You can get a full breakfast for four euro and free red and brown sauce. This country is nothing but a total rip-off, says Maureen. Nicole says if it were 10 cent or 20 cent, you'd get over it. But a full bottle costs less than 150. Well, uh, went to a cafe in Cashel a few uh, says yesterday, uh, might have been a few days ago, I got two full Irish breakfasts at a cost of €12 each, with no tea and no toast coming. So my wife went up to see what was the delay. We were informed that we didn't order any tea or toast. And we said, we presumed it came with the breakfast, only to be told that it was an extra €2.50 each. I duly got up, left the breakfast on the table, walked out. My wife wasn't happy with me, but I wasn't getting screwed, says Michael. You are right. The full Irish comes with tea or it comes with a coffee and it certainly comes with toast. And if you're very lucky, you might also get some brown bread with the toast, but it shouldn't be extra. I went for a pizza a couple of weeks ago. I ordered and paid for it and collected it when it was ready. When I collected it, the man serving said, sorry, I didn't ask you before, but would you like garlic dips with it? I said, okay. Thanks. And he said, did I want one or two? 
I said two. He handed them to me and said, that'll be three euro, please. I was mortified. Three euro for two tiny little cartons that they filled themselves. What we're seeing in Ireland now is pure greed. Other pizzerias give free sauces with their pizzas. Emma says, I know some places that charge 10 cent for sachets of ketchup. But one fifty is just crazy, says she. Yeah, but a lot of places you go into and on the table, you will have these little bowls and in there will be ketchup, brown sauce, may- you know the sachets, ketchup, brown sauce, mayonnaise, um, mustard, uh, vinegar, and of course, your salt and pepper. Uh, pre-pandemic, Neil, I was charged two euro for a dash of lime in my water, says Joe. Um, they're saying you're taking up a seat and you're sitting there drinking water with a dash of lime and you're not actually a technically a paying customer. That's where they charge you. Now, as to whether two euro for the dash of lime in the water is over the top or not, well, that people make up their own mind. I think they need to charge you something for it, though, don't they? That happened to me as well. I got charged three euro fifty for a small bit of ketchup with my meal, says Robin. Well, if that wasn't a mistake, then never go back there again. And one final one, it's the very same here in our local Chinese. If you don't want curry over your meal, they'll charge you for the container to put it in. One euro fifty. Also, if you like garlic in your meal, it's one fifty extra. And also chili is another one fifty. Can't believe it. And I've been a very good customer for years. Has that just started, Jennifer? Has it always been that way? Or is that another thing that just um, started to creep into prices. I mean, what I'm asking you, is it a recent thing? Used to be that way all the time? Anyway, text 0868104106. If you have other menu stories or experiences, do share. Text 0868104106. Sorry, my apologies to Finbar. He's waiting an age. Finbar, good morning. Good morning. Indeed. What you call the GAA, the Grab All Association, is it? Yeah, yeah, they've always been known as that, but never as much as this year. What they're doing to the cock people is unreal. I mean, the toads of them went away last Saturday to a match. That would cost them money. That's serious money it's costing. You know all the things out there. No, they want to go to Dublin next weekend. You're talking well, about Thurless last weekend, yeah, are you, Fimmer? Yeah. yeah. I know they're going to Cork Park next weekend. I mean, they're talking of hundreds of euros every time. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is, a, this is supposed to be an amateur game. They're, make, they're, they're, they're creaming in. This is ridiculous. Why don't they take Dublin out of bloody Dublin? I can't understand. The great Pats, Pats Belen has been saying it on television for years. Take Dublin out of Dublin. This is the Cork-Dublin match, isn't it? Yeah, it is, okay. yeah it is the, this is quarter-final in the Dallas Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like, Dublin people do nothing. They buy the ticket and they're, they're, they're going to the match and that's it. Well, Cork people have to organise their trains or their cars or whatever to get there. But and forgive me for not knowing that. I know it's football and I know it's Dublin. It's not a Dublin home game, is it? No? That it doesn't work that way? You see, Dublin generally get most of their games at home anyway. Then, if they win this, they're going oh, to... Oh, down with all that stuff. Down with all that. Dublin will be in, in Cork Park again for semi-final. And Dublin, in the final, if they get there, they'll be in Dublin again for the final. Do you understand? It's Dublin, Dublin, Dublin odds because they're guaranteed the 70 or the 80,000 all the time. And the G are happy with that. They don't care how the cock people, or the Kerry people, for that matter, anybody, how they're going to spend it, where they're going to get the money for the And what was the reason behind the Turles trip? Uh, that was the, 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 the take it out. Of, it looked very good because, why? Dublin wasn't involved in, in, the, in the two matches last weekend in Turles. But the minute there's a Dublin involved is Croke Park, but can't you it's see Croke. why, though, if the capacity is capacity at least, least 30,000 more, isn't it? They'll, they'll get 75 to 80,000 when Dublin at home. 
and and that's shown it all again in in Camogie over the last few years. They get thirty five to forty thousand if Dublin are at home. So you don't agree with big matches should be played in the biggest stadium then, no? Next weekend's match should be done in Parky Keith. That is a white elephant. It, it was a magnificent stadium. But how often is it used? Mm. Very, very rarely. I, I absolutely did. They deserve to be called the Grab Ball Association. And there's a cockman and, 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 and uh, the boss of it now, like, well, a farmer cockman. He's in, in America now. But he, uh, he should have more sense. Yes, look. So what's the cost involved? Clearly now there would be either petrol or diesel or a train ticket. And train tickets aren't cheap. Are you better not? I mean, look at the price of petrol today. I mean, Dublin people don't even have to use their cars to go to that match. They can cross the road and into the pitch. Or they got a Lewis or they got a Dart or whatever I the case may be. But they wouldn't have to travel to They wouldn't need their car at all. Just get, as you say, the Dart or the Lewis. But cock people have to travel. If cock and cock will be leaving at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning to get to that match. I know, I know, I know. And then on top of that, you got the, you'll have to get something to eat. You might have exactly. a couple of drinks or whatever the, the pace. The ticket, the whole... Uh, and then, like, some people, if they can afford it, some people make a weekend of it, they stay overnight. You're talking of serious money there, you know? Yeah, and I doubt if a lot will do that, not with the cost of hotel rooms at no, the moment. No, no, I, I admit, no, yeah, I admit, yeah. But um, one time it used to be a huge thing, they make a weekend of it, of course, in a big match. But I, I nearly have to go. But, uh, no, but just, I, just before you go, and one last question, because I know you're under pressure. Do Dublin ever play in Parky Cueve? But they do, but it's a very rare occasion. Very rarely. It would be in a, in a league match. I think the last championship match that I remember was back in the 19... It would have been the 1980s. When, when Dublin, after the draw in Dublin... So they never play a big match, like a quarter no, or a if semi? It, if it's, if it's, they'll play the first round maybe in Longford, yeah. knowing they're going to win the match anyway. Longford or Wicklock. But they know. don't travel to Cork all that often. I, 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 my my unless somebody can come up and remind me. But that was the last time that I saw Cork and Dublin match down the park. And actually, that has happened. Dublin won the same day. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Much obliged. Anybody got an opinion on that? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. With regards to Diarmuid O'Quayla trying to board a UK Navy ship, as I was telling you on Friday, uh, Diarmuid is a serial headline seeker. His main goal is to get to the doll. Well, I mean, if that's what he wants to do, he's entitled as anybody else to do it. He's also incidentally entitled to criticise things that he doesn't see right. That ship is on international waters. It had a right to be there. German ships dock there all the time. Um, Were you talking about naval ships now? We're talking about naval ships. The UK Navy protects Irish waters from threats. The Irish naval vessels can protect us from anything. The UK Air Force also protects our skies, says Pat. I think that's rather insulting to the Irish Navy, actually, to say they can't protect us from anything. I actually thought the same thing myself. Wednesday, there was a guard of van parked alongside the UK ship, but I felt it was strange that there was a seaman standing at the top of the gangway with a gun. I don't think I saw this before. Didn't look right. Uh, Neil, only UK submarines carry nukes or are nuclear powered. The Enterprise is nothing more than a survey ship that checks and lays the underwater telecom cables, says Pat. And a few then from Friday's program with regards to ambulances. I was telling you about the serious, serious lack of not just ambulances, but trained paramedics to drive them and indeed to go out and get engaged in the life-saving work that they do last week. My dad was shifted by ambulance early Wednesday morning. There was no delay in getting an ambulance. They happened to be travelling back to the base after delivering a baby and bringing it to the CUMH. 
and they attended my dad very quickly. In fact, two ambulances arrived because they were changing shifts. So fair play and credit where credit is due. They're super at their job. Yeah, but did you ever ask yourself the question as to why two ambulances arrived? Because it meant that another one could have gone somewhere else. It's caused all these issues with ambulances by staff shortages, full stop, and those phoning for ambulances for stupid reasons. That's the view of my son, a paramedic who works in the ambulance service in England. Anytime I phone him, he has a story of an unnecessary call-out. The same applies to the fire service, where he works part-time as a fireman, says Malcolm, listening in Ross, Ross Moore. He says, son, a paramedic, works in the ambulance service in England, and he says, many people call out ambulances for stupid, stupid reasons. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, so we did put those questions to uh, the uh, southern region of the ambulance. Um, a lot of the questions had to do with the serious lack of ambulances and then issues with regards to crewing them because we were told that intermediate care operatives who wouldn't be trained anywhere like paramedics were being brought in and asked to cover for paramedics who couldn't go to work to make up the staff shortages, not to mention the uh, fact that one or two ambulances were covering from way down west all the way to Dungarvan. Uh, and they said significant pressure on emergency ambulance cover at this point in time. Um, this is largely due to the accumulation of annual leave due to earlier COVID demands. On top of that, sick leave and also vacancies that exist within the system. And to assist with these priorities, intermediate care colleagues trained to the appropriate level, which is an interesting phrase, have been requested to work with paramedics and advanced paramedics on emergency ambulances until further notice. And they said crews from Limerick and other locations such as Kerry or Waterford can be asked to transport patients, transport patients to Cork or crews from Limerick, Kerry or Waterford can be asked to attend calls in Cork depending on demand. And that's the statement from the press office of the HSE. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. Uh, Neve, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Um, this old chestnut, and it's an important mm-hmm. one, uh, disability yeah. parking, right? Go ahead. Yeah. No, I just, um, I brought my father in here. He's disabled. I have a disabled badge. Brought him into town, um, and we parked on Academy Street. And, and all of Academy Street going up on the right, that's all disability parking, isn't it? I think of maybe one or two at the start. I'm not sure if they're actually oh, okay. disabled. Okay, I always thought they were basically, more. Basically, okay. it is. It is essentially all disabled. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we parked there, happy out. Um, didn't didn't really look at the sign because I mean, you look at the floor and you see it's a disabled space. And went off and did what we had to do. Came back and we had a parking sign because apparently you can't park there between three and half past six. Um, no, they're saying it's because. You, it's no parking, but it's no parking because you can't drive onto Patrick Street between those hours. Uh, so that's why it's no okay. parking. And so it was a weekday, was it? Yeah, it was a Friday. And that's when Patrick Street closes in the afternoon. Well, apparently the no parking sign is Monday to Sunday, that you can't park there between okay. Okay. three and half a six. Okay, yeah. But I mean... And do you know, can I just ask you, you know when you yeah. have a disability badge and you put it up on the dash? Yeah. Is that for a limited period? No, no. So you can no. park there for as long as you wish with the disability yeah. badge, all day if yeah. you want. No, I could be, I could be wrong, but as far as I'm, I'm aware, there is no limit on it. So there's no. What you're saying to me is that there's no limit on a disability park. 
As far as I'm worried, no. Okay, so how but can like you get a fine you then? Your, because if I was to get into the car at five o'clock, where am I going to go? Only onto Patrick Street. And you can't drive onto Patrick yeah, Street. Yeah, but you could have but parked there at two o'clock and decided you were going to be gone till seven. And that's exactly what happened. We parked there at two o'clock. I took a half day, brought my dad into town because he had recently had a fall. So I said, I'd bring him in. He can do his bits and pieces. And you know what the irony of it all, Neil, is oh. I got the fine at... 24 minutes past four, and my dad paid for his prescription in Boots on Half Moon Street at 24 minutes past four. So the exact time we got the fine, he was in pain for his prescription. Yeah, coincidentally, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I couldn't, I, you, you couldn't have made that up. But I just think it's very unfair. Did you that, appeal like, it? I did, I appealed it, and I got back a message saying that, no, it's rejected because I was parking in an old parking zone. But if you actually look at the, the parking sign, it says no parking, uh, then it's a loading bay and whatever. And then underneath that, you have a separate sign saying parking with a disabled, you know, the, you know But hold on a second, were you thing. parked in the wrong place, you're saying? Well, no, I was parked in the disabled space at two o'clock. Yeah. But because you can't park there between three and half a six. And when they, when they rejected your appeal, what reason did they give? Just because I was parking in an area that had... Um, that was a no parking, um, no parking zone at the time of the offence. Did it say on the sign no parking here between uh, half three and half six? That's what it says. Yeah, but then underneath it, you see your your disabled sign is separate to this, so it's got no parking sign, and underneath that, it's got a loading bay Monday to Friday half seven to three. So that's got that's one giant. It's confusing, sign. yeah, to say the least. But then yeah. your parking for disabled is underneath it separately, so it looks like you know this is disabled parking. But like my point is, what if I was staying in the Maldron there and uh, or somewhere you know there's a couple of Maldrons in town or you know wherever, and I parked uh, the night before, and we didn't come back to the car till half past four. Just say half past four. Mm. So how you know what I mean? That's very unfair. Mm. Mm. Or, but the, my point is, we were parked there. We weren't driving onto Patrick Street. Yeah, it raised. I understand. And it, how much is a fine? Forty euros. I know it's a pain, isn't it? But the thing is, like, but, are they there every day? So doing this, is every disabled driver penalised if they park there between this every day because they don't. You know what I mean? Even if they're parking there, just and not going onto Patrick Street. I know, but I know that there would be people listening to this now saying, is it even fair that somebody, unfortunately, with a disability, and therefore having a disability pass, pass would park in the same space for hours on end? Is it fair that's on just, everybody else? But that's that's just parking. And generally, you're never going to win with that debate. Yeah, like. yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunately, that's, that's never going to change. Had it been a while since he was in town? Yeah, like I said, he had a fall, so I said I'd bring him in. That way then he didn't have to be worrying about buses or anything like that. And he'd have, you know, and like I said, we were parked on McCadry Street and he had to do his bits and pieces down by half Moon Street booths and whatever. And so he said we'd have something to eat then and things like that. So yeah, that, you know, did, that's where did you eat? Where did you eat? Pardon? Where did you eat? We ate in Scoozies. Oh, fabulous food, isn't it? Great spot, yeah, great spot. Yeah. And did he enjoy the trip in? I mean, what did he make I of the city? Of course, he did. But sure, that ruined it then. And, and you know, the thing is, like, you'd all, you always see the cars driving onto Patrick Street. Why aren't they at the top of Academy Street stopping people driving onto Patrick Street? Why aren't they at the top of Merchant's Quay telling people stop driving onto Patrick Street? Yeah, I know. And one but less reason to want to come back in again. Yeah, disabled people for parking and use in town do you know what I mean we spent money in town is not the whole point that, that is the whole point you yeah, know yeah, yeah. But, and wouldn't be encouraged to do it again you're saying 
that's it. And you know what? I cc'd a lot of the my local councillors on this, and I think I cc'd was it over seven councillors. And you know the only person who replied back was Ken O'Flynn. Yeah, what did he say? That he'd he'd put it to the attention of somebody. Yeah. Uh, he's very good. He always responds to you, and he'll try to do whatever he can. Well, let's see if he can get your money back. Come back to me if he does, Neve. All right. No problem. At least no disabled drivers now can be aware of that. Absolutely. So. Take care. Cheers. You know. um, Thanks very oh, much. I didn't. I didn't know it's unlimited parking in a disability spot. Uh, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Myself and Kevin actually. We didn't talk about this on the air, did we? I've only got about ninety seconds. We didn't talk about the fact that when we went into Kelly's on Oliver Plunker Street uh, for the corned beef and cabbage, oh, that you had that never had corned beef and cabbage in your entire life. No, I um, I came home and I made this point and. Uh, yeah. It turns out I must have had it at some point when I was young. Why, did when your I was mommy young say you did? My mom was like, you, oh, you've definitely had it. I definitely used to make it, but she used to tell you, you used to tell us you hated it. Ah, so yeah, I well, kids, it would, kids I could, would. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't have been a huge fan of it as a child in short pants. But cabbage. cabbage is just a no-no when you're under the age of six, isn't it? What it's did just, you make of the Kelly's corned beef I, and cabbage? I really, really enjoyed it. I have to say, I really enjoyed it. Is it silver side? Is silver that what they call side. It? That's the best of it. Silver and side, And he, he yeah. cooked it very slowly for a long, long time. Ah, Chef Neil is a, is a lovely fella Chef as well. Yeah, and he got fairness. it in the English market. He did. And, and it's just, you know, it's one of those things that like, I, I, I'm like you, I love cork. I, I real kind of, you know, you can hear it in the accent, but so, well, somebody's, I've had tripe and sheen, I've oh had a lot man, of it. But have you really? I have, yeah. My grandmother used to love tripe and Would you have it now? No. <laughs> no, I wouldn't be I've a favourite so of mine. I've tried so many times. But I've tried it. I I've, I've given it a go. I just can't do it. So, yeah. bacon and cabbage, not a bother? Not a bother. Anything else, not a bother. I'm like a hoover when it comes to food. Pigs, trotters? Uh, I haven't tried it, but I heard a great story recently from a guy. I was up at a match at, on Saturday, and he was telling me about a game that was down the lodge, and uh, Cork Hibs were playing, and apparently a fella brought, had a bag of crew beans, and uh, when I think it was Wig, Dave Wiggy Wiggington scored the winner, the crew beans went to your man at the crew bean waving it around in the air. Apparently there's a picture, and you could see the crowd, and just a single crew bean in the crowd. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, try that. Have that, yeah. I've had that, Fair yeah. Play. Uh, I've had a lot. You're a so dustbin then. Yeah. <laughs> anything. Anything and everything. Right. Feel free to send any cork produce to, uh, you know, oh, Neil at uh, uh, Red FM and Curry. Yeah, take care. <laughs> so the best of corned beef and cabbage and Kelly's on Alva Plunkett Street. Long may they reign. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106 Red FM This is the Neil Frienderville Show uh, Coming from a family who's been renting 14 years with 5 different house moves due to landlords selling their houses all with good jobs and still we can't buy a house Every time we go to buy a house it is given to the highest bidder which is a minimum of 40 to 50,000 euro, euro, 50, euro than the initial asking price And they are houses that need a lot of work done to them in the interior which is another 50k minimum, absolutely minimum. It's an absolute joke at this stage. People's mental health is suffering big time. And I'm at work, working to pay my rent, so I can't come on air if asked. Well, thank you all the same for your text. I do appreciate them. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. That's exactly what Peter Murphy did. Okay, well, we're we're really investigating Cork uh, horse troughs, Peter, aren't we? We are, yeah. You were talking about the trough above in Farron Ferris. Yeah, yeah, I'm confused. Is there one in Farron Ferris and is there one in the Mon? There was one in the Mon. There was one in the Mon as well. Oh, there was one. one up in the, 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 the 
where the, the new school was built there now, there was a big field there. They used to have the cattle in there as well. And there was a trough in there for the cattle. So are they cattle troughs then, as opposed to horses? One of them feathers, as you go in the gate, it's on, one was on your right-hand side. Yeah. It was um, Danny Deneen was the farmer there. They said they were milking cows, they say. They were the, for, the, for the borders. They used to all their own milk. For the borders in Farna? In Farna, yeah. They had and their they own cow, right? Down the, yeah. the side and you cross the road there. You're familiar with the place there because all you all yeah. know is yeah. I lived along. Yeah, I know. And I know, I know, I know your grandfather. <laughs> Paddy English? And Paddy, your, your, your uncle. That's my, he was Paddy as well. Well done. Well, yeah. He was about uh, he's, I know Paddy as well. Yeah, in Madden's buildings, yeah. Wait, did you you didn't work with them though in the post office or on the buses or anything like that? No? In the buses, all right. Yeah. I know Paddy. Shall I know your mother? They're all out and your grandfather. <laughs> so Danny Deneen was the farmer up there. Danny it, Deneen ran the farm up there. And that's and he'd wander up. I'm sure she's she's down he's caught somewhere, I think. Right. Yeah. He'd run up up there. Yeah. So would you be you'd be in your eighties now, would you, Peter? I've been coming up to eight here. Fair play. So you've seen it all. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the, he was bringing down the cattle there and he was crossed the, crossed the lodge into the back of the, the house. So the red brick house as you, as you... As you go in the drive? As you go in the drive, yeah. That's yeah. where Danny lived. <laughs> so everything around it would have changed over the years, but the cattle oh, yeah. trough remained. That's why it's a mystery now. People can't work out. Yeah, that was for the cattle. And what about the Mon horse trough? For the was, that was for the cattle as well. They had cattle up there as well. For milking, uh, is it? For the brothers, is it? For the brothers, yeah. They had their own farm up there as well. That's right. Up the back they did, And then they had up there on the back as well. They were to all their own veg. So it's amazing what a bit of investigation can reveal. Oh, yeah. And they were, they were doing their own veg in the farm first as well. On the left-hand side as you go. And were you, where were you born and reared then yourself? Down in Water Lane, Grandma Bryan Street. And, you, st- all life. and are you still there? Still, I'm still here. <laughs> and what, the big changes. It's a it's a much oh, you, it's a much quieter spot now, isn't it, than it used to be uh, years ago? I wouldn't say quiet, but it's changed. <laughs> it's changed, all right. Yeah, not for the better. It's almost kind of forgotten oh, about no. by our politicians and our councillors, isn't it? It's all gone here, why not, with all the songs and. Yeah, I know. Not delivery, I know. And yeah. what did you what did you work at all your life then? I know I I'm asking you a million questions. I worked as a wood machinist. Where? I worked in Nisey Leahy's in North Street. What did they make? Furniture. So you're a cabinet maker? Uh, machinist. I cut the timber for the for the cabinet makers. Where were that they, where, where were they based? In North Street. They're gone out them streets are gone out of the the in a shopping centre, Max Spencer's and all that. Oh, and did you go I in there as an it. apprentice then, as a young fellow, is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the, the, the 50s. And did you stick with that your entire life? Well, yeah, there was in PJ here, but he's been as well, like. Go away. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Great story. Okay. So there were cattle troughs then for the cattle. That was for the cattle, the yeah. one in the, and the one in the man. But there was cattle troughs then in, 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 in Sheehan's <laughs> field as well. <laughs> for the cattle, because they used to. They would hold the cattle there for the boats to see. Ah. The Hargons the and the Sheans. Yeah, yeah. They would hold the cattle there and there, they had a trough there as well. This house is built there now. 
Yeah, but the troughs remain in situ because it's part of our but, history, isn't it? We need to protect oh, them. Oh, yeah. When the one in, the, in Father Francis did there, like, you know, you just go up to the regular basis. Yeah, they, I know. I know. Dogs I know. And that. You know? So you, from from Blackpool, you'd remember Manly the saddle maker. You'd oh, remember sorry, Neville's shop across, across the road and stuff. Across the road, me. Oh, Mister and Mrs. My man's shop. We're not <laughs> shop as well. Oh, God, no. And you are Max. <laughs> Lovely That's chatting with you, Peter. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate okay. it. Take care. All the best. Okay. Bye bye. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. I can't come on air, but I said that uh, I would contact you because you've been talking about misdiagnoses of children in Cork. I sad to see that 10 years later, nothing has changed with misdiagnosing children in Cork. 10 years ago this month, my then 18-year-old child developed, and I'm going to have a stab at pronouncing this, nystagmus in her eye, obviously some condition. Our GP referred us to the CUH, where for months on end I was told, it's a nerve, it'll calm down. I kept pushing and eventually they told me, okay, to shut you up, we'll refer her for an MRI. But as it's not urgent, it will be months. Something told me, says Louise, something told me that it wasn't right. So we paid for the MRI ourselves. And that evening, they found a brain tumour behind our child's eye. We were taken to Temple Street and the equivalent eye consultant told us that any doctor could see by looking into my child's eye that the nerves were small and pale. They were shocked that it was missed for months on end. Our daughter is visually impaired, had to do 12 months of chemotherapy, has had multiple brain surgeries, but is doing so well now with continuing checkups in Crumlin Hospital. I will never, ever again attend the eye clinic in the CUH. That was th- 10 years ago. I cannot imagine the misdiagnoses these days with the great excuse of COVID. Please, people, always trust your gut. Medics are not always correct, says Louise by email. And one quick one here. I lived in the UK for many years with regards to the health system, etc. I would say the following. The waiting lists over in the UK aren't as bad as here. Finding and seeking a GP isn't as bad as here. We lived in Kanturk for almost three years now. I'm still cannot, I still cannot get on the list of a GP locally. When I see a GP, I have to go to the city. My mother's GP took us on in Cork City. In the UK, yes, you pay for prescriptions, but it's only nine euro per script. You can buy a prepayment cert, which costs 30 pounds for three months. And you can have as much meds as you need. A yearly cost is €10 a month. Uh, We didn't pay for a GP for hospital visits, hospital stays. We had subsidised dental and optician services in the UK. Yes, we paid national insurance as a separate form of tax. However, it's taken at source. And I can tell you, it's not that bad. Comparatively, here is much more expensive. And general taxation is way too high as well, says Monica. So there it is, chapter and verse, the differences, time after time after time again. Um, I just don't, I hate seeing lines like, you can get as much as you want, you know, prescription after prescription after prescription. I I often think that we over-prescribe here anyway, don't we? All too often, without looking at other aspects of people's lives. Don't want to sound preachy or anything, but diet is so important and what we eat a lot of inflammation, inflammation and sickness, of course, comes uh, from diet. 
that's just my own thought. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And we're back to the phone lines. Busy morning to start the week. Tom, good morning. Morning, how are you? Who's not living in the real world? I'd say it's probably us because we put up with the same carry on time after time after oh, well, time. Listen, listen, I've been through that. I've been through that house through with half people, or all other people, quite easily, which are like kind of, um, there's no point in covering that ground again. They're just equally as stupid now as yet they'll ever be. Um, but we don't really have much choice, do we? Considering the people who put we don't themselves have much for, choice. Yeah. Well, we do, like, I mean, we have the same choice. We have the same choice as was given to the people who fought the water charges. They can't be reversed. They'll have to go through. They didn't go. They didn't go through. They were reversed. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, 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 like it's. it's but just, then you'd need fifty thousand people to be marching down Patrick Street. You know. Well, you would never get. You would never get that now. But I, like I remember being above in Dublin. I remember being above in Dublin at Marcus. Well, there was certainly 100,000 or more on the streets. Now, of course, RT would have you believe that there was uh, 15 or 20,000 people turned out. Like, you think they intentionally was, underplay numbers, all right, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, well, they, they, they do that, like, I mean, they're all they are, like, as a government press office, like, and they, they trot out the figures that are told to trot out. Anyway, um, you have Michal and Leo not living in the real world. No, no, well... Well, Leo, like as well as as well as being, I don't like he he couldn't kill us. Like he couldn't kill us. I said to you before that if these people could get prosecuted for being poor, like it, it's a sin as far as they're concerned. But he's vicious anyway. He's vicious anyway, and he's manipulating. I mean, the episode him and Pierce Doherty, quite easily in the door, who was scandalous. Because what Pierce Doherty done when he was 18 or 19 years of age was called into question. But he he attacked them over that. Now, there's a slight difference between... Uh, Pierce Doherty started it, didn't he? Pierce Doherty... Brought up the DPP. He brought up that the man that was leading this country leaked documents and he's under investigation for that fact. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. Now... The, the leader of this country, the leader of this country was not an 18 or a 19-year-old young Right? He's a mature man that's put in control of... I understand that. No, that is irrelevant. That is yeah. a very valid point, yeah. yeah, yeah. It is a very valid point. Now, also, he just said quite recently there, which I think is ludicrous, that the present health crisis is not this government's fault. Sorry. The, the present housing crisis is not this government's fault. Whose fault is it, did he say? He didn't say, like, it's not this government's fault. Now, a few weeks back, or a few months back, you had Mumbley Mix saying that the, pro- the, the problems were in the health system. It's not, their, it's not their fault. They inherited it. Now, you know he said that. They inherited their problems. And I just wonder who they inherited them from. So we have a bunch of politicians who do nothing more than pass the book then. Yeah, well, yeah. No, well I mean, the only, the, only people, <coughs> the only people that could have inherited the, the conditions in the health system would be from the British, right? Mm. Mm. Because, I mean, they're there for the last hundred years. Yeah, but an they awful lot less people living in the country, you know? Mm? An awful lot less people living in the country. 
way back in the day. See, we have more now than ever before. And our diets, course, our diets have changed and our diets and, you know, uh, we've got issues with uh, alcohol and we've got issues with drugs and we've all sorts of issues <coughs> affecting people that really, by and large, weren't, you know, food was simpler back in the day. You know, we didn't need so much junk. A lot of that impinges on the health system. It's different now, you see. I don't, I don't see, I don't see how it is different because, like, I, I, I don't, I see a problem with drugs and alcohol in the city, but I don't, I don't think, I don't think it's a problem that goes straight across the clouds. I don't know, does it? You, know, I think, it, I think the sum of all of the parts increase the pressure on the health system for sure. Yeah, you know, of course, of course. When, when the population increases, when the population increases. That's the health system is bound to come under a bit more pressure. Yeah, more and you, have, you also have multinationals who are coming in, and that's a great thing. And they're giving people more work, and more people come here to live and to work. But they that puts more pressure than on the housing system. You see, we just don't have anywhere for people to live. But you see, this is this is it. This is we shouldn't be considering these people are coming to this country before our own people. Anyway, your point: we should be. We should not. We should most certainly not. Irish people should not be homeless for 20 years. And you your people coming into the country and getting accommodation immediately. You have people on the housing list, people, Irish people, born and bright Irish but people. But that's a wild statement to people. make. How can you say that they get housed immediately? They get accommodation. They don't, bring, they don't, they don't allow immigrants to come into this country to sleep in the streets. There's accommodation for them when they come in here. That would be if somebody comes here looking for asylum. Uh, they would go into direct provision. Full stop. That's all. They don't go into a house. Um, but, but about the, the Ukrainians that just came in recently? Uh, well, that, that, that that's a completely different set of rules. That, that has to Why? do with war. That's a, that's a huma- humanitarian crisis that Ireland and other countries across Europe are rowing in behind. Our, our other countries across Europe are growing and behind us. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you think so, to the same scale as we are? Well, I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me with regards to every other member of the European Union. But if you look at what Poland is doing, for instance, they put everybody to shame. Yeah. Just, uh, no, it's I'm just that when people say, people are coming over here and they bring nothing with them and they're given a house straight away. That's bull. Yeah. Well, it, well, it isn't. It isn't like... It, it, well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. But it's also true that we have Irish people on the housing list for 25 years, 20 years, 25 years. And it's and a scandal. Accommodation. It is a scandal, yeah. 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 No, we didn't create that. That was created by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. These problems are created by Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Yeah, that's a good point, that since the formation of the state, these are the two parties that have been in power and in control. So yeah. it is their fault, yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. One of the things, just quickly, one of the things I mentioned earlier on this morning is a story that's making the papers. And bear in mind now that newspaper never refused ink. Our summer will be unpredictable chaos as the star today. The mirror holiday hell warning. Ireland hit a strike action looms across Europe. They're warning Irish families desperate for an end of term sun holiday that you're facing a grim warning of summer travel chaos. True or false? Owen Corey, the travel journalist and commentator, is always on the end of the phone and today is no exception. Owen, good morning. You hear me all right? Yes. 
Owen, did you see the papers this morning's uh, holiday hell warning? I'm just curious. Is this true? And if so, what should people be worried about? Yeah, uh, chaos is overstating it. I saw the papers, I may have been quoted in some of them. But what it's really, we're looking at a summer where the aviation and the airlines, the airports, the services for the airports, all dealing with recruiting, getting people back on feet on the ground after COVID, and also that the recovery or the return to the air is a couple of percentage points uh, more quick than they expected. predicted. Yeah. So all of that puts staff pressures, those sort of things. So you've got passports, uh, you've got security queues, and then you have the airlines facing uh, the same issues of getting their fleet recertified and getting the staff levels up to putting them in the air. The chairman of EasyJet has been on television in the last hour uh, talking about cancelling a good number of flights Why? this summer. Why? British Airways have already done the same staffing issues. Uh, the two Irish airlines better prepared, Aer Lingus, Ryanair, both of them were pretty much ready for fueling back up. The airport, obviously, in Dublin, less so. They ran into security queue problems. But the, the uh, problems run through everything in the airport, the services, the cleaning, the feeding of passengers and the baggage hall. So the videos and that we saw and the photographs and the stories of Dublin Airport, is it still as bad or has it, has it improved somewhat? It's improved, of course, because the worst case scenario was the, the Sunday of the, uh, a couple of weeks ago yeah. when people missed their flights, yeah. having followed the advice. The reality is nobody's missed the flights, but we had a, it went to 50 minutes this morning in Terminal 1. Uh, yesterday, Terminal 2 was uh, the problem. Uh, it's unpredictable. Now, the numbers game is on Dublin Airport side. They're putting 30 extra staff into that security team every week, training them up. They're all being delivered. So as the summer progresses, security queues less likely to be a problem. Okay. But you've had people on your programme talking about TUI, the tour operator, cancelling flights. Cancel flights is an issue right across Europe, less so for Ryanair and Aer Lingus, but it's still there. And the reason that they're cancelled, you've mentioned TUI, and of course you just mentioned EasyJet, is they haven't got the staff to man the planes and all of the ancillary services. Absolutely. Okay. And then the airports run into capacity. Heathrow this morning asked uh, all the airlines using Heathrow to reduce their schedules by 10% because they actually can't handle it on the ground. And there was uh, marvellous photographs, or not so marvellous photographs on social media, of the huge baggage mound in Terminal 2 on Friday. In they called it a carpet of baggage, didn't they? Pretty much. Well, the, one of the things is that baggage is completely automated now. That's almost completely barcode red and all. So tech is great when it works. And when it doesn't work, you need personnel to start uh, sorting it out. And there aren't the personnel to sort out the tech since COVID when the tech shortfalls. Baggage uh, going astray is a continuing problem this summer. We've had a few flights arrive in Dublin Airport with less than 10% of the bags on board. And, uh, you know, Aer Lingus would be dealing, and before COVID, baggage was oversold. They'd, lose a, they'd be dealing with about 50 lost bags a day. It's gone over to over 300 now. And most of that is not in Dublin. It's actually in places like... What happens, what happens when you lose problem. your... What happens when your baggage doesn't arrive at the carousel and you go off on your holidays without your luggage? What happens then? Uh, you're entitled to compensation, but it's not very high. You're entitled to clothes, uh, things like that that you need to buy. 
And uh, the limit under the Montreal Convention is around twelve hundred euro in a bag, which you know sounds a lot, but if you have something fairly big in there, a pair of shoes for a woman or something that's uh, dressy, it can go, it can reach that very quickly. But um, you are entitled to compensation to get you through that period when you haven't got clothes and you are a place where you need to be. Okay, and the the one we hear now of um, staff and unions and air cross airports across Europe calling for strikes. Is that, is that accurate? Of course, but you've got to remember that in particular Ryanair, and Ryanair and DTJet have been targeted by the unions in about six countries. Uh, what the Ryanair policy has been to sign the deal with the recognised unions 2017 very famously. They identified the biggest pilot union, the biggest cabin crew union in each country because they fly to 36 countries and they signed deals with all of them. And what we have across uh, five or six countries is the smaller unions, the ones that weren't in that negotiation process are pulled out of it, now threatening a strike. And uh, it's not going to have the impact they would like because none of them are the largest union. In one case, it's only 2% of the Ryanair cabin crew in Portugal, the union calling the strike. They, but they're, you know, by creating the headlines, they want to uh, affect the forward bookings. They want to do damage to forward bookings, share price, make, make the impact like that. But from a passenger point of view, it's not the biggest union because they're the ones that Ryanair have signed the deal with. And in some case, that provoked the second or the third union to accuse the main union of being betraying their members. Will, will, it, stuff will it impact and deliver unpredictable chaos for people going on their sun holidays in July or August? Uh, chaos is a major overstatement. Uh, the ma- biggest we've seen is 20 out of 2,400 flights across the network being impacted by one of the strikes, and we've had about eight of them so far. Nothing more than a weather event would normally do, and Ryanair are in a great position to move planes and crew around, particularly when most of their cabin crew or si- unions have signed up to their deals. Uh, to soak up any of the passengers whose flights are cancelled. Not saying it won't happen, it's just that the impact will be minimal. No, it's just you see headlines, summer of travel chaos, holiday hell warning. You know, you wonder, oh my God, we're out of the fire and fatten into the fire, you know? <laughs> well, you know, there, you know, even the passport issue, I mean, uh, that, that the big breakdown there was from the Garda certification for newborn babies. That's been uh, engaged, a big engagement on that. But at one stage, that was causing 40% of new applicants to be delayed or returned. So, you know, chaos, while I say it's an overstatement, if you're the person whose uh, passport hasn't arrived in time and then his flight That's is cancelled and yeah. then you're caught the two-hour security queue. It is chaos. Is Dublin Airport still saying don't be arriving early? Are people still going too early? Very much. They're saying don't be arriving early. I think they scared people into not coming early by talking the triage system and uh, holding pen uh, for early, for people who arrived too early. Triage was tested, but it has never been implemented. So what's recommended? We haven't seen the queues outside the terminal. Two and a half hours short haul, three and a half hours long haul. <clears throat> but they added the proviso that if you're checking in the back, add another hour, because a lot of the problems are in the check-in. Is so it's three and a half and four and a half, realistically, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, much if you're checking in the bag. Now, the thing is, Ryanair's bag, uh, which is where m- most of us fly, Ryanair, uh, our Aer Lingus, both of those have been working fairly efficiently, but we have run into uh, problems with some of the other airlines. And remember, uh, someone like Air France and Lufthansa, even though they're not long haul, a lot of the people checking in for those Paris and Frankfurt flights are going on to they their are, home, yeah, so they're they're 
connecting. Yeah. There have been uh, baggage problems. Well said. Covered a lot of ground as always. Thanks for taking the call, Owen. Always a Cheers. great pleasure, Neil. Take, Take care. care. Owen Corey, travel journalist and commentator. That's interesting, isn't it? Three and a half if you're checking in baggage for short haul and four and a half if you're checking in baggage for long haul. Back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 Question asked there just a few minutes ago, yeah, but how do we compare with the rest of Europe with regards to Ukrainian refugees fleeing war? Well, uh, I have all of the stats, and bizarrely as it may sound, the Russian Federation took 1.2 million. I suppose we could be talking for hours as to why that happened. Poland, though, 1.1 million refugees from Ukraine into Poland. Now, you might say, yeah, right across the border, but they still took that many. So Poland, 1.1 million. Um, anyway, Germany took 780,000 so far. The Czech Republic, 373,000. Italy, 130,000. Spain, 120,000. France, 88,000. Bulgaria, 80,000. Austria, 71. United Kingdom, 70,000. And on and on it goes. And down the list, well down the list, Ireland. I know you will say it's a smaller country with... Uh, Maybe not as developed infrastructure as many of the ones I've listed already. Ireland, 36, 35,675. So there's a big difference between our 35,500 and, say, for instance, Belgium's 48,000. Uh, or indeed, uh, the United Kingdom's 70,000. And way up at the top, of course, Poland, 1.1. Germany, 800,000. Okay, so that's a little bit of statistical information to answer a question on the air a few minutes ago. Meanwhile, back to the phone lines. Mick, good morning. How are you doing? Uh, you would you had a bit of an experience trying to get back from Washington, was it? Washington, Thursday on Thursday there, I flew out. I flew out at five o'clock. Uh, well, I flew out at seven o'clock. I was two hours late because of the storms. And when I arrived in Skipple Airport, they told me there'd be a representative letting us know about the connecting flight from Amsterdam uh, to Cork. Was it from, from Amsterdam to Cork on an Aer Lingus flight? Yeah. So I, I got off the plane and there was nobody there to be seen, Fair Lingus. So I went to the desk where I was meant to go for the flight, knowing it, knowing it, it was late. There was nobody there. The flight was up there, leaving at 25 past nine. And the, anyway, I went looking for a, a, an Aer Lingus. So had you missed that flight because of the storm? I missed the flight because of the storm. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I, plane I only was gone. Found, I, only found, I only found out an hour later when I looked at the board. That the flight was cancelled anyway, <laughs> so nobody's told me. So I, I got an email. I got an email at two minutes past one. So <laughs> I got an email at two minutes past one, telling me unfortunately that the flight's cancelled. And this is what you can do. You can ask for a refund. You can go and rebook a flight. You can do this. Anyway, I went looking for an Aer Lingus representative. The only people I could see was a KLM. They had an Aer Lingus plane sitting on a tarmac, and was told in no uncertain terms, nothing to do with them, they're no lingus. So I went to the transfer uh, transfer lounge, there was about 400 people there. Oh my God, what <laughs> were they all doing there? <laughs> they, they, obviously, the flight, all, the, all the flights, I know all the flights in, in Washington were delayed because they couldn't get pilots across to, to the Dulles Airport because of the storms. So I don't I, I don't know why the, the Lingus flight they say the Aer Lingus flight was uh, cancelled because of baggage handlers they couldn't get them. Anyway, I went I went everywhere. My wife was on the phone in Cork to Aer Lingus. Can't get staff for anything, can't they? Should know security, no, 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 baggage no, no. handlers, cabin crews. But no, nobody would take responsibility. 
So as my wife's my wife's trying to phone Air Lingus in uh, office in Cork. I'm trying to phone the Air Lingus office in Amsterdam. No answer. I was gone about. We couldn't we couldn't book a flight. They wouldn't they wouldn't let us book a flight. I got to the point. I thought I've got to go out. I've got to go out the airport. Go up and book a flight to the desk at, at the desk. And I'm thinking if I don't get on the flight, there was a thing, I think it was a KLM flight at twenty four and an Aer Lingus flight at half past nine. So anyway, I went I went to the... I, I took a chance, I went up to the VIP lounge and asked, is there anybody can help me? And fortunately for me, the young, the young manager there, she was very helpful. She, I told them my, my plight and she sorted everything out. She phoned up, she phoned up uh, Aer Lingus, she sorted a, a, a flight, She's phoned up the baggage handlers, uh, the baggage uh, department, and sorted out my, my, my baggage because I, I didn't know where anything was. Uh, she was trying to get me on the 24 flight, the KLM flight, which I was praying and hoping I was getting on. And she said, I'm sorry, we can't get you on that, but what you need to do is go away in there to yourself and sit down and have a drink to yourself and something to eat. And, and I thought, well, that's, that's something. I got on a half past nine flight. So and was that all in, in a VIP lounge that you, you know, it was a VIP privileged to go into or what? Yes, it was a VIP lounge. A manageress that sorted everything out. She didn't need to. It's not her, it's not her, uh, it's not in her spec yeah. to sort out flights for anybody. But, but this time, I think it was about half two, she could see how frantic I was. And, uh, you were lucky you met the right person at the right time. Oh, oh I was blessed. Because I was, I was really hoping I was getting on that 24 flight until she says, get yourself away in that lounge. She says, that's good with me. Just have to drink what you want to drink and eat what you want to eat. And then I thought, well, maybe if I get the half-nine flight, it'd be a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, they got me in the half-nine flight, which left, I think, 40 minutes late. And I got in, I got in, the, I got in the Cork at half-past 11, I think. You had a long day. I, well, I left, I left Virginia Beach. Well, I left. Chesterfield in Virginia on Thursday morning at <laughs> I was up at five in the morning and I left at nine to drive to Dulles Airport. That was a Thursday morning and I went right through. When did you get into Cork Airport? <laughs> twenty to twelve. Twenty to twelve on Friday night. <laughs> oh, God, you should be in the Guinness Book of Records for that. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I was going. I was going. They could make a movie about me. I was walking about that airport for, <laughs> for weeks. Oh, God. oh keep <laughs> your feet on the ground for a while. Anyway, you've earned your stripes. All right. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't know if I should phone your lingus up and ask him to explain or. or Put it down to experience, man. You'll have no luck there anyway. No, really. <laughs> Cheers, Mickey. Was, Thanks for taking the call. Appreciate it. You remember on Friday I was telling you that um, an Irish flag, I couldn't believe that it went so cheap. Now, everything's relative, I know. 2,800 euros, a lot of money in some ways. Of course it is. But an Irish flag from the state car of Michael Collins sold for 2,800 pounds at auction in Belfast this week. Well, Seamus is after going and tracking down the man who bought it. His name is Oliver Page. Oliver, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm well. Have you taken delivery of the flag? I have taken delivery, and it is sitting on my table at home, and I am enjoying it. And tell me, were you surprised at the price? I can't believe my luck. I can't believe my luck. I thought this thing would have went through the roof. Because about, about uh, I'm not exactly sure, about seven months ago, 
uh, the same auction house, Bloomfield Auctions, auctioned off Michael Collins's walking cane. They did in September uh, of last year. Yeah, and it made fifty-two thousand pounds. Yeah, I could not believe my luck when I when I got the flag. And I, that, I, I, that walking stick from... sold for five times higher than the expected price. That's correct. Yes. Which is amazing, considering. And tell us about the flag. I mean, what's the provenance behind it? The provenance. Would you like me to read the letter of it? Sure. You, Neil? Yeah, please. He's oh. one of our own Collins, as you know. Hey, listen. He's your he's your neighbour. Yeah. He's your neighbour. Listen. Yeah. Original tricolour that was on Michael Collins's state staff car. Provenance. The current owner has stated that the piece was passed on to her down through the family. Her maternal grandmother, Mary or May Cunningham, Nee Fitzpatrick, was from a very well-to-do family and very close friend of Michael Collins. And indeed, Uncle Mick, as he became known to the family, visited the house regularly in Ballsbridge. Michael himself is said to have given the peace to the grandmother as keepsakes. Mary Fitzpatrick later married Joseph Cunningham, who was a turf accountant. The Cunninghams later became directors of Shamrock Rovers. They may have been the family's possession from the day and hour they were given to it by Mary Fitzpatrick. From her own inspect from our own inspection, the material looks period and we are very satisfied at the authenticity of the said subject. So, so that, you are. Yeah, that proves you have the real McCoy. Didn't it, somebody? Oh, didn't they also sell a lock of his hair? I think wasn't it true? I think it made either ten or fifteen thousand. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to dig him up again. Puffy <laughs> <laughs> saying. <laughs> oh so what? Like, had you expected it to go more? Did you expect to be outbid or oh, what? Lord. I thought it wouldn't have been on the running, uh, Neil. I thought it wouldn't have been on the run. I couldn't believe me luck when the hammer went down at two eight. Couldn't believe me luck. And was this a physical and, auction or was it an online auction or what? Well, I, I was online. It, it, it was uh, Bloomfield East Belfast, Bloomfield Auctions, and I was online. My son set it up for me. I wouldn't be completely okay with that. Yeah, okay. Monday, Monday. All right. He, okay. He, he set it up for me and showed me how he bid. And it, it, it just went up. The last bid was going on 2.6. And my next bid was 2.8. And... I couldn't believe it when what the hammer it, went down. What did, what did the flag start at? The flag started, they were they were estimating it would make between a thousand or eight hundred and a thousand pounds. See, I and think it's bizarre uh, I, considering the history, you know. It started for a thousand and it sold for two thousand eight hundred, but yet it was the Irish flag on his state car going back to the nineteen twenties. Would it have I sold for more if it was that. sold in Cork or Dublin, do you think? Well, I often follow White Sox in Dublin. Yeah. And they, they were doing a lot of his stuff there not, not that long back, you know. But, I mean, you see, I, I, I just honestly, I'm sitting here and I can't believe me luck. <laughs> I'm still, I still haven't come around since uh, Wednesday from the auction. And it, it, this is something that's relatively new to you, is that you started studying Irish history late enough, I'm told. Is that right? I started... I sort of went on December retirement and I do a, I keep on my hands a small bit of work but I went on December retirement and I was always interested in Irish history. So when I went on December retirement I started reading up and I started looking at auctions and started looking at things and collecting things and the more I read the more interested I got and it's, it's just a fascination with me. 
Where are you in the where are you north of the border? Where where do you uh, three, four years ago, I've actually started picking up the Irish language. So I'm a student of that Irish language as well. <laughs> Good man yourself. <laughs> How's that going for you, the Cupola Fuckle? Uh, listen, I have a, a muncher, uh, 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 Fergo Hagan, or Fergal McGuigan, and he's, he's a gentleman and he's he, he takes me every week for Irish and uh, I'm coming on like a house and fire. <laughs> what part of the north are you living in? I'm not in Derry, I'm just on the border at Muff. I can tell you one thing, when we were down, when we were in lockdown and not flying anywhere and everybody was driving places, uh, I drove north actually, went to Belfast and yep. I went to Derry. Derry just was an incredible experience for me. Such a beautiful Derry. city, beautiful people, gorgeous place. You have said it and you know this, it's getting better oh, every day. I love the people. Are, a lot of similarities to Cork, you know, in size and, yep. you know, even the attitude of the people, very friendly. Yeah, well, my my our holiday destination was hoping to be Cork this year. <laughs> okay. I, I'm hoping to go on a few of the tours. Come on down. Uh, when are you coming down? I'm, fo- I'm following Tom Barry presently at the minute. Uh, you need to come to Cork City. You can get onto the hop on, hop off bus. That's great fun around the city. Yeah. And yeah. you can visit where well, Tom Barry used to live on the corner of uh, Patrick Street and Dawn Square. Well, I'm reading. I'm, I'm following him at the moment, and to be honest with you, it's very, very interesting. I'm uh, delighted that we had a chance to chat. I'm, I'm engrossed. I'm engrossed. Dave. But te- listen, yeah, I'm still te- on a high with a flag. I can't get over it. All right, and what kind of condition <laughs> is it in? Is it clean? Do you wouldn't be washing it in the tumble? And don't give it a wash or anything. Like you wouldn't do any of that. Better believe it. I have it sitting here in front of me, Neil, and it is like a. It looks like me to like to be like an Irish lemon. You're not going to throw it up on a flagpole and get it up in the morning and down in the evening, no? Very sure I'm not. This doesn't come. I'm, a, I'm, I'm actually I've been with a, a, a <laughs> photographer who frames uh, photographs, and I'm looking to get it framed now, along with the, the letter and along with the photograph of Collins's car, the Rolls Royce. <laughs> That's right. Um, I am telling you, I am on a high, and I don't know when I'm going to come down. You're going to keep it, though, I think, are you? You you made oh, off like yeah. a bandit at twenty eight hundred euro. Well done. I would keep it, and I would gladly pass it on when my old age comes to some <laughs> museum, or I would donate it to them. You can give it to Fitz. You can give it to our own museum in Fitzgerald's Park. Do you hear me? Put that in your will, will you, Oliver? <laughs> Good luck. Well done. Thanks for taking the call. Welcome, Bill. Appreciate speaking to you. Thanks very much. Cheers, Bruno. Oliver Page. Well done. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. There are countries that did take lower than us, actually, with regards to Ukrainian uh, refugees, for instance. You look at the likes of Denmark, 30,000, where you compared to Ireland's 35. But again, the Germans took 800,000. Or places like Norway, 18,000. Or the Greeks, 15,000. So we're not down at the bottom of it. We're not far off it, but we're certainly not... At the bottom, we're kind of uh, two-thirds done, I suppose. Get off the fence, Prendival. Our own people are being dislodged to house Ukrainians. The Polish can well house them. They have the massive country that they have and population, unlike us, fall out of your ivory tower, for God's sake. You know, I have to be very... Listen, you're entitled to your your text and your opinion, but I have to be very careful that uh, I try and keep keep control on things so we're not whipping up hatred, we're not whipping up division, or we're not whipping up racism against people who come here to flee war and terror. Of course, I never, ever, ever said for a moment...
that Irish people are being forgotten about. Of course they are when it comes to housing or opportunities to find a home or be able to buy a home or rent a home. Uh, but I don't think that wagging a stick at Ukrainian refugees is the answer to it. That's all I'm saying. I mean, I saw something at the weekend uh, where they're talking about modular homes. The headline said an upcoming project to house Ukrainian refugees could be the first of many in Ireland. Modular homes can be assembled on site in as little as four hours, while the process also produces considerably less waste than conventional buildings. And this was a story that I read online and I was thinking, my God almighty, why did it take a war in Ukraine to decide that modular homes can be built within four hours and families could be living in them by the end of the day? I mean, they're not ideal, but the photographs that I've seen of some of the modular homes they're not all that far off what looks like a real home to me. But there you have it nonetheless. Uh, lines are open on that one. Uh, pick up the phone, text 0868104106. Last word this morning, actually, is a headline from Cork Bio today. Donal. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? I'm good. So they just put it into my hand. I mean, I can't defend it. Uh, it says, Spanish resort towns, restaurants, ban Cork shirts, swim trunks and tank tops. Why has that annoyed you? Because it's a very cheap headline, Neil, to uh, get readership. I, I Look, I have no grudge with Cockbio. I actually complimented them several times on a video footage that they did there during the, the floods in Cork and that kind of stuff. So th- that headline hit me straight in the face and I knew straight away it, it, it was untrue. It's, it's true in the sense that they have banned football tops and swimwear, but internationally. They have not mentioned Cork. I've seen it somewhere else. That was Dublin jerseys. I've seen somewhere else. That was British jerseys. A couple of news uh, agencies reported it correctly and just stated that they were banning football tops and swimwear. So different news feeds are adapting it to their own market, saying in Cork that it's Cork shirts, in Dublin it's Dublin shirts, and you know... And that's disgraceful behaviour, Neil, uh, on behalf of those agencies, because... Why put a headline like that up? What, what, there's, no tr- there's truth in it in one sense. Technically, they are jersey. right, though, that if you were wearing yeah. a cork shirt, you will it's be banned. Right to, it, it's not right, O'Neill, to quote a, an article and put your own flavour on how that article was written. Because it's not exclusively and cork tops that are banned. Absolutely not, Neil. It's internationally. It, nobody mentioned any area. Even in some cases, it says British football tops. Some of the British press have reported it in the way it should have been reported that they've banned them in general. Okay, and, and what they, is the backstory to this? It's Mallorca, where they're fed up a holidaymaker. Palma de, de Mallorca, yeah. Apparently, uh, a group of restaurants have kind of clubbed together and came up with the agreement that they would not accept people in with football tops. Now, I find that extraordinary because football tops never made anybody behave drunk in a drunken no, or no. In uh, fact, unruly uh, way. There's many a time when Drinkers. I'm overseas, I see people with uh, sports tops on them and they're with their partners and their children and the grown adults and, and they Absolutely. are not troublemakers. They are not. And Neil, that's all. I believe myself, this is my opinion, that's a kind of, a, I suppose, a, a security for, for families and for Irish people in general that when they go abroad like that, they like to connect with people from their own country. I, I'm not in that vein, to be honest with you, but there are a lot of people that enjoy the company of uh, fellow countrymen ah, yeah. when they're on holidays. Some do, some don't. Of, some go to Irish yeah, pubs, some don't. Mind you, it's not just football shirts, though. Swimsuits, I suppose yes. togs, walking into yes. a pub with togs on. Yes. Tank tops, uh, gold chains, glow hats, 
and anything that's sold from street vendors, all on the list. Yeah. They're having a problem, apparently, with drunken tourism. Is that it? Yeah, but then look what Cockpio have done now. They've kind of almost made it look like that the cock jersey and the cock people have been banned from restaurants for drunkenness and, and, and lotus behaviour. Well, I think they need to correct that, Neil, and they need to, they to take it down immediately and, and speak the truth. And, and don't be putting up stuff that it doesn't refer to cock or any other county or village or country. It refers to internationally I'm sure it's an it's an inaccurate it, headline and, it, and Neil, but, I, I think but that's a form of that's a form of clickbait isn't it where you'll click on that story thinking yeah. that, oh my god yeah. park shirts yeah. what's going on and yeah. you go in that's and you find it's not true yeah. Yeah. that's wrong that's wrong wrong in, in every man's language that's a wrong thing to do yeah. and I think the Spanish restaurants will have more to worry about Neil because I think the Spanish restaurants are suffering already with the way tourism has gone with flights being cancelled and COVID and all sorts of stuff going on in the world and if they are deciding to do that that's their right if they want to do that and I'm sure some of the clientele will be very much in, fa- in favour of it but that article has been very, very, very poorly used by Cockpeo and I, I honestly think they need to apologise to the Cockpeo. Have cock. you have you got on to them about it? I, I mean, I don't have time uh, right now, but I mean, have I, you? Well, my wife and myself discussed it and my wife sent an email to uh, the, uh, I think he's the deputy editor, yeah. I think he's credited with writing the article um, I haven't. We haven't had a response yet. Okay, sure. I can give them. We can give them a quick bell and see if they feel if they feel that the uh, headline misrepresented the story and was a slur on Cork. Of course it is. Well, Neil, let's... Neil, let me ask you a question. Ask the people of Cork. Have we been misrepresented with that headline? Here's and what I the think... headline says: Spanish resort towns restaurants ban cork shirts, swim trunks, and tam- tank tops. Oh, that is a very very uh, cheap. Headline, to be honest. Neil. All right, my man. Let's um, see what they have to say on the matter. Okay, we'll pick it up in the morning. I hope they will respond, Neil, because I'd love to have a conversation with the guy that wrote it, and and I'm just asking what was he thinking about when he did it. Let me see if I can well, facilitate thank, thank that. Thank you for giving me the chance. Cheers, to, to Donald. Let's uh, here for our lines to stay open. You can text 0868104106. Email if you have a story to share, Neil at redfm.ie, and pick up the phone as always on 0818104106. Have a good day. Um, I get back on the fence now. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. This is another Red FM podcast. And remember, if you enjoyed this episode, for more podcasts, check out redextra.ie. It's full of great Red FM content.